Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. What is going on, everyone? This is actually John Middlecoff. We are efforting Andy's having some technical problems. He should be jumping on any moment. But for those who don't know, my name's John Middlecoff. I, I host a podcast for Colin Coward on Colin Coward's network. I'm from the Bay Area. I, I scouted in the NFL for a little while. I've been in the media now for the last five or six years, hosted a, a radio show for a long time in the Bay Area, and, and now uh, made the transition to the Internet. So you can hear me all over in podcasts and uh Basically everywhere in the internet, Twitter, Instagram. I'm a, I'm a millennial. I'm all over the place, and I'm excited. This is actually my first time. I've been on Colin's show a bunch, but I've never hosted, uh, co-hosted a, a show here on National Fox Sports Radio. So uh, th- there's a lot going on. You know, the NFL season is basically here. Uh, you know, I live in the Bay Area. I've had a front row seat for the Kevin Durant text message, or I guess uh, podcast. Twitter beef, whatever the hell's going on with C.J. McCollum. Uh, and really the story that kind of went nuts yesterday, and I don't know why people are so shocked, is Des Bryant last night freaking out on Twitter. And I say this all the time, and I've defended Kevin Durant in this sense. I get it, they're famous, and people are like, oh, why do they respond to the trolls? Well, I don't pretend to compare myself to one of those guys, but I interact on Twitter, interact a lot. I respond to the trolls that's part of the power of twitter's medium is being able to respond and yesterday des bryant who has a long 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 history of being a little nutty you know he's not going to hold in he'll he'll let it rip he's not afraid to be heard and yesterday it feels like he basically snapped and started tweeting at people because a story came out about stephen jones getting mad you know, kind of saying the Dak had we got some sound on on Stephen Jones talking, and really, I when you hear the sound of Stephen Jones, it it's not nearly as bad as what it sounded like when you read it on Twitter. He's working on his game. He's worked on his accuracy. I think he's got to trust the system, which I think at times last year there was pressure Des in his ear, but I think he'll have the type of year he had the year before, if not better. Let, let me say this first. Dak's a tad bit overrated at this point. He had a good rookie season where he was behind an elite offensive line, one of the better rookie running backs in recent memory. He was, obviously, Zeke was just fantastic. Dez was still solid then, and Jason Witten was doing Jason Witten things, catching 70 balls for five yards a catch. Last year exposed him a little bit. And the one thing I do agree with Dez on, I guess as last night kind of blew up and Dez was tweeting up a storm, is Dez kind of crushed the offense, just saying how predictable it was. And one thing they always hung their hat on as the Dallas Cowboys and the explosive offense that we had kind of, I wouldn't say come to know and love, but come to know every other year with the Cowboys, 
is that Tony Romo would just make things happen. He was, you know, I would say like the NFL version of what Johnny Manziel was at Texas A&M. He could just kind of freelance. And that was a big part of the success of the Dallas Cowboys. And I do think that Dez, and listen, maybe I have a soft spot for Dez. I was a big Dez Bryant fan as a player in his prime. He he clearly is no longer that guy. And I I think a lot of people would say, well, what's the point of doing this if you're Dez? What's the point of attacking the Dallas Cowboys, Sean Lee, basically calling him a snake? Sean Lee actually had some pretty bold words back. But I, part of Twitter is being able to defend yourself. So Dez, who's been pretty consistently been getting blasted, and I'll be honest, I, I blasted him probably like three months ago. I was watching that show on Amazon Prime, and I tweeted out a video of him kind of snapping on Derek Dooley, and I went, oh my God. I, there's a reason Dez is unsigned. I mean, he's a pain in the ass. But we knew that. Can, can we hear what Sean Lee had to say? Because I don't want to say my jaw hit the floor, but I was somewhat taken back like, Wow to say that I, I can get anybody off the team and uh, having input on the roster is absurd. Second thing, I love Dez and I, and I want the best for him. You know, to be honest, we did butt heads because I wanted Dez to be more accountable to this team and his teammates. And to be honest with you, a lot of the team felt that way. I think he needs to look at himself and hold himself accountable. That's one thing I think Dez was crushing him and I think he said Travis Frederick too who actually came out yesterday and kind of said the same thing that it was BS that they can get him kicked off the team. In the NFL... This isn't the NBA. No one cares what players think about the personnel, the GM, especially the Cowboys with Jerry Jones and and Stephen Jones are going to do whatever they want to do. But I I do think Sean Lee just hit on a pretty you know strong point that most people probably in the Dallas locker room and the anti Des people would agree on that he wasn't he didn't he wasn't a team guy any longer. It didn't feel like he was part of the culture, and I know. When the breakup happened, it, I mean, it feels like six months ago. Maybe it wasn't that long. Maybe it was two or three months ago when, because he got cut right before OTA started, is that there were the Jason Garrett guys, which was Sean Lee, Dak Prescott, uh, Jason Witten, who then ended up retiring, is now doing Monday Night Football. And then there was Des Bryant, who was kind of in no man's land. And, and I, I do think part of this, and as we saw earlier with Kevin Durant, and C.J. McCollum, is it's the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, we're talking about a guy, now who was an excellent player, but is not in the league right now. Every training camp, it's not like one training camp has started. 32 training camps are up and running, and this guy is no longer in the league. I've worked in the NFL. If you are a good enough player, regardless of what year you're in, like you could be a 10-year vet, if you still are talented, and I don't think anyone would argue that Dez is not talented enough to be on a roster, but his problems now exceed his talent. I remember Doc Rivers, I once heard him in an interview, said the moment your problems uh, exceed or are bigger than your talent, you're done in pro sports. And that was the one thing Dez always had is his talents were better and, you know, stronger than his problems. And Jerry overlooked them. Jerry would do anything to just make an excuse for Dez. And now that's not the case. Now Dez, who's never really been a blazer but had some foot injuries, can no longer run. And he is no longer uh, worthy of dealing with kind of this, which in football, this, the – external, exterior, 
stuff that coaches don't like dealing with is what Des kind of brings to the table on top of not being a 90, 100, 10 touchdown catch guy anymore. So the moment that that kind of looks like, oh, God, is Des a, even a one? No. Is he a second receiver? Uh, depending on the team. Well, once you start talking about your third and fourth receivers, Des Bryant's not going to play special teams. So you're going to have a backup that's not going to play special teams and who's really just opinionated. Uh, and, and clearly yesterday, and again, I support professional athletes or just famous people yapping back. Uh, I, I do it all the time, and, and I get there's going to be probably a majority of people that are like, what's the point in doing this if you're Des Bryant? Well, as he kind of said last night, he'd had enough. And he just snapped. And he kind of acted like he wasn't mad, just like Stephen Jones wasn't mad. He was calm, cool, and collected. He was getting his hair cut when he was uh, going on his tweet storm. But I I do think Sean Lee, can we hear, I, Sean Lee basically said, I mean, the entire locker room agreed with him. Like, Des needed to be more accountable. That's that, that Those words are echoing throughout the NFL. And I think that's why... Right now, you only see the the only team that I've seen connected to Des Bryant and feels like has any chance for it to work is the Cleveland Browns. Think about that. The Cleveland Browns. Now, I do think the Cleveland Browns actually are going to be a lot better this year. I might even go as bold as like potentially be like eight and eight. But that's the team. Cleveland, not, not the New England Patriots who deal with. They'll, they'll take in any older veteran that can still kind of play. Bill has done it for 20 straight years, do things like that. They're not interested. The Green Bay Packers, who just got rid of Jordy Nelson, they could use some wide receivers. They're not interested. Seattle. Seattle has taken renegades and guys that had that were opinionated and you know kind of beat to their own drum since Pete Carroll has gotten there. Didn't call. Uh, the, the Rams. The, the Rams are basically like a, uh, if you're semi-famous and people think you can play, they'll take you. They, they, they're not interested. They, they, check out their wide receiver depth chart. I mean, I know they traded for Brandon Cooks. Robert Woods is okay. <laughs> they could use de- not interested. The, the, the San Diego Chargers, who just lost, you know, former first-round pick Jason Verrett yesterday to like a Achilles injury, I think, when he was uh, doing his conditioning test, I mean – there might not be a team in league history that's had a five-year run of worse luck than the San Diego Chargers. Now, granted, I, I think they had probably somewhat moved on mentally. Just whatever we get from this guy is gravy, but th- they can't catch a break. Every year, they have multiple guys whose ankle breaks, whose knee snaps, whose shoulder breaks in OTAs or training camp. It's not like in a game in the third or fourth week. It's right now. It's in May, in April, in June. It's pretty wild. But again, the San Diego Chargers, who are kind of the sexy pick right now to win the AFC West, you're telling me they couldn't use Des Bryant? Phillip Rivers loves slow, plotting receivers. Not interested. You're talking about a team that, you know, clearly could use some buzz. I mean, they're about the 18th most important team in Los Angeles. and That might even be high. So, I... It's just a little shocking to me the way this whole thing has played out. And I, while I support Des in terms of – because I can relate to being aggressive and attacking back on Twitter, it doesn't look like he's going to sign anytime soon. Ho- hopefully we can get uh, Andy on the line here coming up, and if not, I'll just uh, 
I'll keep talking to you guys. So you're listening to Fox Sports Radio with John Middlecoff. Coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Do you know what should have happened 15 minutes ago? John Gruden probably should have called Khalil Mack. Uh, You know, for a while, probably in OTAs and April and May, it was probably more of a Bay Area uh, pertinent story. And I would say yesterday it's jumped the shark a little bit and become a major national story. I mean, for my money, he's the best non-quarterback in the league. That's Khalil Mack. Uh, I know some would argue Aaron Donald, and I'll be honest, I'm a little biased. I just... You know, much closer to this team. Uh, I, I value, I don't know, high character team captain, all pros. <laughs> I mean, call me crazy. And yesterday, John Gruden said something, and, and I couldn't believe it because you would think that at this point in time, I, I, I'd get if certain players, when they hold out that aren't of Aaron Donald or Khalil Max category, it's like, what are you doing, man? And even guys like Earl Thomas and Julio Jones, like, guys, you're on your third contract or, or trying to get your third contract. You've already made an astronomical amount of money, and you're still being highly paid. You may be relative to what the market is now, underpaid, but, you know, show up to camp. This one, I, I just let's, let's listen to what Gruden said because I, I, I can't believe he took this tactic. Well, I did speak with him when I got the job. When I first got hired, I spoke with him. He's been a hard guy to get in contact with lately for obvious reasons. You know, this is a a great football player. Not only that, he's a great guy. And everybody on our team respects him and loves him, and we hope to get him in here soon. I think Reggie McKenzie's the guy you should talk to. He's the man talking to Joel Siegel, the agent. And um, we'll just cross our fingers. And in the meantime, we brought in Arden Key in the third round mm-hmm. to make a difference. Let's let's go. And Bruce Irvin's back at his natural position. Uh, Faldo Brown, some of these newcomers have got to take take the ball and run with it until Khalil gets here. We hope it's soon. Two, two things really quick. For him to say that he's a hard guy to get a hold of puts it a little bit in Khalil's camp, like makes him out to almost look like a bad guy. Uh, this is business. This is part of the deal. I, I don't know quite why he had gone there. I get where Gruden's probably a little mad and wants him in training camp, but I don't know if that's a tactic you take with probably the best defensive player you know, between him and Charles Woods in this franchise draft in the last 40 years. I also think it's a little disingenuous. John Gruden was just paid $100 million. Let me repeat that, $100 million. So I, I know he said he came back for the love of the Raiders and the love of football, and I don't not believe him when he says that. It's clear he loves football's his life. I got a couple buddies on the coaching staff. They say he eats, breathes, and sleeps it. I'm not disputing that. But it took him – it didn't take him $60 million to come back. It took him $100 million for a team that probably in all of pro sports, not just the NFL, is probably the least amount of cash poor – or you know has cash reserves on hand to pay coaches that much money. So, John, you you're in full control. So to put it on Reggie McKenzie, we all know Reggie McKenzie like any general manager, if they hired a 100 million dollar coach in any sport would no longer quite have the power. So for him to like all oh, Reggie Reggie's handle. No, John, everything comes through your desk. Let, let's just be honest about it. That'd be like Bill Belichick 
You know, I got Nick Casario, and I, I, I gave I put it on Josh McDaniel's feet too. No, Bill, we we know you run it, but Bill would never say that. And I, I just I thought that comment putting on Reggie McKenzie. I, I it's kind of sucks to be Reggie McKenzie. It's easily the I, I know Derek Carr. Anytime you draft a quarterback, uh, you get a ton of credit for that, right? I mean that's. That's the way the NFL works. There's really only one true player on any team that really, really impacts winning and losing for an entire season and year in, year out, and that's the quarterback. But you draft a guy like Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, a, a J.J. Watt, you know, a guy like that, it, it changes your career as a general manager. And I, I can't imagine Reggie McKenzie, now that he no longer has the juice that he used to have, has to be thinking, like, what are we doing? Now, I understand that Khalil Mack, and I'll throw Aaron Donald in this, are asking for relative to NFL money in an astronomical, enormous I mean, quarterback money. They're $75 million plus guaranteed, more money than Jimmy Garoppolo just got. So it's not easy to pay him, but the, the, I, I say it all the time. I have a philosophy when it comes to teams. There's 5% of a roster on every team in the league that are worth max money, and that's usually two or three players. And Khalil Mack is one of those. Like, you, you look at the the Rams. To me, Aaron Donald's easily one of those two or three players. Then you could probably argue the other guys. With the Raiders, it's, I mean, Amari didn't play to that level, but it's, you know, it's Khalil Mack. Like, you look at the 49ers, non-Jimmy Garoppolo, they're, I don't even know if they have one. I mean, it might be Reuben Foster eventually, maybe DeForest Buckner, uh, you just look at a lot of different teams throughout the league, like the the Philadelphia Eagles, Lane Johnson, uh, Fletcher Cox. <laughs> you know, it's just the way I look at it. There are two or three guys on every team that are worth it. Uh, let's I, Isaac, you there, my man? Morning, John. How are you? Pretty good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm kind of on the injured list. I have some ligament strains in my uh, index finger from refreshing Des Bryant's Twitter page. Uh, all quiet so far this morning, I'm unhappy to say. But aside I, I from that. He, I, I bet he's retired after his, uh, I don't even want to say antics, but just his effort yesterday. Absolutely. It was a Herculean effort by Des Bryant on Twitter. He probably has a sprained index finger, so that probably explains him resting it. Do, do you think it would have been a big, as big of a story? I mean, Des De is a pretty polarizing guy, but if it just wasn't the Cowboys, you know, if it was the Houston Texans or the... I, I still call them the San Diego Chargers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, I mean, it's it feels like it resonated more. Just Twitter, and we're talking about it now because it was the Dallas Cowboys. Everything's bigger in Texas, and they're such a not only national but international brand. Anything that has to do with the Cowboys is magnified like a thousand times. And I'm glad you brought up the all or nothing scenes from the series. Because I ate that stuff up, and specifically the scene that you referred to, with actually there were a couple of them, weren't there, with Des Bryant and his then receivers coach, Derek Dooley, in the meeting room? Mm -hmm. I mean, I ate that stuff up. Because I, I think you have a unique perspective, because I see in one sense where... Des Bryant is coming from. I know that his heart is in the right place. He just wants the team to win a Super Bowl. But I think the way... He goes about it. There's a fine line in pro sports, and you would know this better than I would. 
between being collaborative and saying your piece and adding input. There's a fine line between that and when it kind of crosses the line to being counterproductive. And that was the problem that me playing amateur psychiatrist saw with Des Bryant. I felt his heart was in the right place. His ultimate goal was the same as everybody else, but I think he went about it in a way that came across as counterproductive. And you saw it in the example when he's meeting with Derek Dooley and they're talking about the Denver Broncos and he's like, you're being too complimentary of the Denver Broncos. I just think across that line. What do you think? That, that was, to me, that moment was much more eye-opening than anything he said on Twitter last night because ultimately mm. I... I don't think GMs and knowing a bunch around the league, not not that that was, I would say most of them, I wouldn't want to say negatively, but probably wasn't a great night for Des Bryant last night. But I would imagine most general managers around the league that have entertained signing uh, Des Bryant, and I think it's safe to say all 31 teams beside the Cowboys have had a discussion. I mean, that's the nature of the business, right? A guy of his caliber or his just name gets cut I've been in these meetings. You just talk about it. doesn't mean you're interested, but you discuss it. And once that video or that show came out, that video or that inside look in the meeting room of Derek Dooley, he was talking about arguably the best defensive backfield in the NFL. Right, yeah. Right? It wasn't – I would get it if Dez was yapping about a team that, you know, if they were playing like the Oakland Raiders or whoever was the worst defensive backfield in the league – but they were playing a team that had, you know, at, at, on any given day, I mean, Chris Harris, Aqib Tlaib have been all pros at different points of their career, and Bradley Roby's one of the better young corners in the league. All, all, he, he wasn't really even being that over the top. He's like, hey, guys, we got to be really – and Des lost it. Th- those type things are – I don't think a team's going to want to deal with that. Again, because he's not as productive as he once was. If he was catching 90 balls and a bunch of touchdowns, I – we all know, I mean, it's in sports and pro sports, as they should. It's a bottom-line business it's about producing. No one would care, but he's not. People around the league don't think he can run, you know? They don't think he can move. Or else he'd be signed by now. And you're, uh, up in the Bay Area, one sports team there that's known for its collaborative culture is the Golden State Warriors. So they have a culture that encourages, you know, assistant coaches, the video intern, the 10th man on the roster to contribute and add their perspective. But there is a noticeable difference between that sort of culture and what we saw there from Des Bryant, in my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, and I also think, like, probably the closest example to Des in terms of the way he goes about it, his aggressive nature, would be Draymond, you know, just in terms of how loud he is. But Draymond is known as an elite teammate, uh, an elite mind. Like he would, if you were, you know, the equivalent of the Denver Broncos would be like them getting ready for Anthony Davis in the second round. Right. Draymond would never tell Steve Kerr, like, start, you know, giving me compliments. Stop talking about, you know, he's not, that's not how he's wired. So the the one thing that I don't think, and I know nationally they take a lot of crap, that does not get enough credit with their core three. I, I, I view Kevin as kind of a just this mercenary elite addition. I mean, he's an all-time great player. But their core three, they were champions before he got here, is how great a teammates Clay, Draymond, and Steph are. You know, they're, they're, the, they're the Jason Witten-like. You know, they're just they're on the elite scale of teammate and coachable. 
and that's in basketball and, and football. De- definitely football because you're getting yelled at more than probably in basketball really matters. And I, I think a lot of people around the league, I, I wouldn't want to say scared of coaching Des because coaches aren't necessarily scared of players. They just don't want to deal with it because they start thinking to themselves, well, what if I, you know, coach Des hard? Is he going to snap? You know, is he going to yell at me that that I'm taking the wrong tactic? It's, it's just not even worth it. Yeah, coaching's hard enough in the NFL with all the time commitment and the hours. And you mentioned, you know, Draymond. You're right. I mean, when Draymond might pop off, whether it be publicly or behind the scenes, there's still something endearing about it just because of the way he is and the character and what he brings to the table as an elite guy who does so many things to contribute to victory. But you got to love it. I mean, what we're, what, two days into training camp with everybody in the league, and already NFL training camp is by far the dominant sports story in America, and it'll be that way for the next seven months. I mean, Major League Baseball, no one's talking about it now. Yeah, it's I love it. Yeah, it's, it's done. I mean, what's... I saw some pictures on Twitter before I hopped on of, I think, the Chiefs and the Eagles walking out to practice with pads on. I mean, the the first couple days of training camp are cool just because we get some, for us, I mean, the stories. But until the pads come on, what they're doing on the field is pretty meaningless. Now, once the pads come on, not, not that practices make or break anything this early, but at least you start... I mean, you, there are going to be some injuries around the league. It happens every year. It's inevitable once practices happen. There's also going to be some stories about, you know, some rookie guys that are just playing exceptionally well and vice versa, some guys that just look kind of over the top. Well, Isaac, let's get into uh, what's trending. Let's do it, John, and let's start in the NFL. And disappointing news, to put it mildly, for the Los Angeles Chargers, cornerback Jason Verrett, Wore his Achilles yesterday on the first day of training camp during conditioning drills and is out for the season. We also have a late Major League Baseball trade to tell you about in case you missed it overnight. Mike Moustakis goes from the 31 and 71 Kansas City Royals to the 60 and 46 Milwaukee Brewers in exchange for two prospects. So he goes for a team 40 games under 500 to a game a team within a game and a half of first place in the NL Central overnight. On the field Friday night, the Red Sox and Twins tied 3-3 going into the bottom of the 10th inning at Fenway with Mookie Betts at the plate awaiting his first pitch. Swung on, we're going home! 4-3, Mookie Betts with a walk-off winner! How do you like that? Another Mookie moment at Fenway Park. And the Red Sox win game number 72. Oh, it was hammer time for Mookie Betts as he lost that one over the Green Monster. An MC Hammer reference on Red Sox Radio. Hey, great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. Elsewhere Friday night, Max Scherzer struck out 11 and 8 innings on his 34th birthday, by the way, as the Nationals won at Miami 9-1, and Francisco Lindor hit two home runs in Cleveland's 8-3 victory over the Tigers. Back to NFL talk. John, it's all yours. Well, I'm pleased to introduce my next guest. He he worked in the NFL for a long time with the Green Bay Packers, former VP, was in charge. I think he's going to have an interesting perspective because he's we've lost him he's coming back but he's negotiated contracts and you know the Green Bay Packers 
were, I wouldn't want to say frugal, but they weren't just giving money away. Probably the biggest contract when he was there that he signed was, you know, not a guy they drafted was Charles Woodson. But, I, you know, this Khalil Mack situation, what's going to happen? He worked with Reggie McKenzie and just how he ends up thinking it plays out. And same with Aaron Donald. Andrew, how are you doing? John Middlecoff here, Fox Sports Radio. What's going on this morning? We don't quite have them yet, so we're, we're still working them. This is working out the kinks. This is day one for me. We, we got them back. A- A- Andrew, hey, good you hear me? You. How, how's it go- how are you doing this morning? Good, thanks. Well, we got tra- training camps are underway, and one yeah. thing I was talking about a little earlier was this Khalil Mack, John Gruden situation. It was a little interesting to me that yesterday Gruden, two things, said that he can't get a hold of him. So kind of put it back in Khalil's camp and also put it on Reggie McKenzie's talking to him when I, I think it's fair to say the common fan knows when you pay a coach $100 million, that's somewhat disingenuous in the sense that he's in complete control of whether they do this or whether they do not, that they sign him or don't. Would you say that's fair? Yeah, I think what's important to note is this is the time of year where it's a flashpoint for contract extensions, trying to get the business of sports, which I'm my expertise, out of the way before the focus turns to football. And we're in this kind of, uh, I don't know, no man's land on the on the NFL calendar because the off season is really time for business. The in season is time for focus on football. And this start of training camp is kind of in between because the business is definitely not done. I mean, teams are doing a lot of work on contracts, extensions, talking to players about the future, but the coaches are trying to get their focus back on the field. You know, John's in a tough position because, as you said, with all that power, he's GM essentially and coach. Coach has to motivate, coach has to inspire, coach has to bring out the best on the field management has to be very detached and looking forward. So, you know, I worked for uh, Mike Sherman in Green Bay, who had that role, Coach GM, and he said to me sometimes, Andrew, I'm going to make you the bad guy. And I got it. I totally get that. You know, someone's got to play that role. Andy Reid's done it with Joe Banner and, and Philly and other, Bill Belichick does it with different people. So it's a really tough role. Of course, Gruden is involved with all decision-making. In those situations, I always say the front office should deal with the agent. You find who is the closest with the player to deal with the player and try to keep them as separate as possible. What do you think about it? I looked through it a couple days ago, and I don't know if any team has ever had a max quarterback, you know, like Derek Carr. Now I know he's not the highest-paid quarterback Mm -hmm. anymore but a 25-plus million-dollar quarterback and a max defensive end. You know, I mean, those guys of, of Vaughn Miller, Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, because even if Aaron Donald gets extended, Jared Goff hasn't been paid quite yet. So it does put the Raiders in somewhat of a precarious situation of putting so much, such a high cap percentage into two players. Do you, do you think that's fair to say that it might be giving them some pause, even though they – you know, when Gruden took the job, he know. knew that Mac was coming into his fifth year. Yeah, I mean, listen, these decisions are planned out way in advance. Uh, you know, at the Packers, when I ran the team, we always staggered contracts. You know, if we had a huge quarterback deal we wanted to get done 
obviously if we had other big deals we try to stagger them even if we don't stagger them in the year that they get done we stagger out bonus payments cash payments you know there's cash and then there's cap cap can be managed easier than cash even because cap can be managed with signing bonus proration or how much you do want to put on the cap this year i always try to self-contain as much as possible kind of pay as you go to prevent against problems in the future um so you know we'll see how that happens i I just think you know i guess my real answer to that question is i think it's a (laughs) cop-out when teams and the media helps them say you know we're paying this quarterback so much money we got this we got listen there are cap managers that are paid to work year-round on doing this and there should be no excuses i mean listen the cap there is so much cap room teams are pulling over 30 million dollars of cap room from last year to this year to not use it this year and send it over next year i mean it's there should be no excuse. You pay a quarterback twenty-five to thirty million dollars on a hundred and eighty million dollar cap. That's not a problem. You got half your team at least on fixed and cheap rookie contracts. So I just think that's a cop out that people sort of allow teams to have when they talk about not having enough. One thing that's fascinating to me, and I. I don't know if the casual fan quite understands it. I'm just going to give you some hypothetical numbers. Let's say Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack each get $75 million in uh, that injury guarantee, but true guarantees is $55 million. Does that mean that both those teams have to have $55 million on hand within a couple weeks of the signing of the deal? Well, it's complicated. I mean, whatever's secured at signing... They have to fund. Uh, you take a deal like Taylor Lewan just got a deal which is reported to be fifty million guaranteed. Well, it's really twenty something million guaranteed right now, uh, and that's what has to be secured in a funding mechanism from ownership. Gotcha. But you have these things that everyone talks about rolling guarantees. If you're on the roster next year, you get full guarantees converted from injury. If you're on the roster in two years. So that's a way teams get around funding, and it's something that they've been able to pull over the agent's eyes for years and years. I mean, listen, come on. Teams with these $3 billion assets can't fund a $50 million guarantee. You know, these are the kind of things that that teams get away with uh, with negotiations. Andrew, I appreciate you jumping on this morning. Uh, football's back, so I'm sure we'll be reading you on Twitter, on MMQ Quarterback. And have a good weekend. Thanks so much. Enjoy being with you. It it is pretty interesting that I I don't think people quite understand if you have to have so much money up front. As a cap negotiator told me that one of the deals with Matt Ryan's contract, when they gave him a hundred million dollars guarantee, I think like ninety two of it was true. So that they had to have that money. Now Arthur Blank has you know more money than ninety nine point nine percent of rich people. So it wasn't that hard for him to fund it, but that's that's still a lot of cash. Coming up, I, I want to talk a little bit about. I listen. I, I feel like I'm one of the only people that will defend the Warriors, but they take so much crap. Whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's signing Boogie Cousins, and I don't necessarily think they're in the wrong. So John Middlecoff, Fox Sports Radio, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Great news. 
There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com. And in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. I'm staring at a picture on my computer right now of Mello. Of course, he doesn't want to come off the bench. Shocker. Uh, I, I've been saying this for a while. I, I didn't take the Houston Rockets seriously at all, all season. So I, I was wrong. They, they easily could have beat the Warriors if Chris Paul's hamstring doesn't pop. Now, in defense of that argument, Chris Paul's hamstring or his hand or his knee, something all he always gets hurt in the playoffs. So was that inevitable? The Warriors were kind of wearing him out. But to add Carmelo, if you think Carmelo is going to help you get over the top of the Warriors, I, I know Tommy Lasorda has a has a famous rant, and I use you can't use it on the on the radio because you get in trouble. Uh, that basically, let me paraphrase the way Joe Lacob would send a limousine to pick up Carmelo Anthony to make sure he's in the lineup in a big game. They they they, they can't wait. To, you you do not beat the Golden State Warriors with guy with people that do not play defense and have a false sense of what they actually are. That was the one thing why the Houston Rockets were such a tough matchup for the Warriors. Everyone knew their role. They had a fantastic group of role players that played defense, and they kind of hit the Warriors right in the teeth. And then James Harden can just do what James Harden did. Chris Paul was pretty phenomenal. Uh, you got to tip your hat to him. And then they just had a bunch of other role players. Car- Carmelo doesn't view himself as a role player. Carmelo doesn't just view himself as a starter. He views himself as a star. Like, bro, Carmelo, it's 2018. You haven't been a star in like four years. You were an embarrassment last year. For Daryl Morey to add him, and you got to give Daryl credit. He's done a really, really good job. They always win there. T- to me, is crazy. I- I'm, I'm sure Chris was, you know, Chris Paul, that is, was banging the drum to get Carmelo on the team. But I, I would have jumped in and said no if I was Daryl. And the big difference between the Warriors and just even a team, like a potential foe, because I don't even think they're a foe anymore. Maybe they'll be a you know a top three seed still, but if you think that the Houston Rockets are going to, you know, Chris Paul, these guys, I say it all the time, it's not some heroic move to take a little less on your third contract in the NBA when you're worth nine figures. I remember when Chris Paul hurt his hamstring, the report came. I remember reading on Twitter, Mark Spears uh, of, I think, ESPN, uh, Bay Area guy, was saying he talked to Chris as he was limping to his Maybach. He he, he was worth Chris Paul going into this big contract. Now, I get it. I, I'm not one to tell anyone to take a certain amount of money. But if Chris would have just taken a little haircut off that 160 max that he took, and taken 145, maybe they could have kept the core together. You, you know who actually has done that the last several years? The Warriors. So when you hear these words light years, and people are going to, middle cough, you're just a homer in the Bay Area. I'm, I'm just a basketball fan. I personally wanted Durant a couple years ago to stay in OKC. Uh, as a gambler, I loved gambling on that OKC team. They scored a lot of points, and they were easy to hammer the over. But I, I, I do think, even beside Durant, this year they took a lot of crap for Boogie Cousins. Has anyone watched the the Showtime thing that was kind of going viral on, on Twitter and read all Boogie's quotes and just other teams? No one offered him a contract. I, I just, I, I don't get it. I mean, I, Isaac, do you think it's crazy that the Warriors took so much 
grief for this Boogie Cousins thing when no other team offered him a deal. I think it is crazy to get that sort of criticism, which seems to be the norm even for them, because risk versus reward. I think the dynamic here, and it's apt that you make the analogy to Carmelo Anthony, the addition of Boogie Cousins to the Warriors, it just feels different than the addition of Carmelo Anthony to the Rockets because you get the sense that at this point in his career and his life, for that matter, DeMarcus Cousins, who had such a a history in Sacramento, you get the sense that at this stage of his career, and his life. It's built to actually work at Golden State. It's the right time in his career for him to fit with that culture of the Golden State Warriors. By the way, kudos for bringing up the Kurt Bavacqua, Tommy Lasorda analogy. One of the classics. I watch it on YouTube maybe once a month. It's just... It it brings a smile and joy to my life every time I watch. I I, I can't get enough of a good Tommy Lasorda F-bomb rant. Here's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to try and find the censored version for us coming up. I'm going to try and find it. It might not exist, but if I can find a censored version, we'll play it for you. How's that? You do agree, though, that Joe Lacob would send a limo to the the hotel to make sure Mello's in the lineup. I'd send a limo to make sure he's in the lineup, yes. I, I, I would, too. I would too, and the, and my one issue with C.J. McCollum getting mad at Kevin Durant, like bro, the poor you guys could have offered uh, Boogie a contract, you did not. What what's what? Why didn't you guys offer him a contract? We're gonna talk a lot more football coming up. John Middlecoff, Fox Sports Radio, stay tuned. It's actually just John Middlecoff coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Fifteen minutes could save you fifteen percent or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. Uh, John Middlecoff, for those who don't know, I host a podcast for Colin Coward. Three and Out podcast. You can find it anywhere you listen, iTunes, wherever. Uh, used to scout in the NFL, now been in the media. I don't even consider myself a media guy. I'm just, uh, I got some opinions. Uh, I got some thoughts. I like to talk and talk a lot of football. So if you like Colin's show, you'll probably like mine. Hit, hit me up. Uh, easiest way to listen is iTunes. And uh, coming up right now, he reported on the story at Ohio State uh, on the on the wide receiver coach who is now no longer there. He's covered college football forever, and, and I I can't wait for this college football season. Uh, I think that you know obviously Alabama is the heavy favorite, but I, I like Oklahoma to be back in the playoffs. Uh, I think the University of Washington is going to be really really good. And, uh, you know, I think Georgia clearly is not going anywhere with their young quarterback. The the Big Ten is just stacked. I mean, from Penn State, I know they lost Saquon Barkley, but McSorley, the quarterback's really good, and obviously Wisconsin's going nowhere. Uh, Now joined by uh, college football aficionado and just excellent reporter who was all over this Zach Smith story, Brett McMurphy. How are you doing this morning? Good morning. How are you doing? What what's going on? How's uh how's everything going? Looking forward to the season getting here, get some games going. Well, you reported on uh, I guess he's now the former Ohio State wide receiver claimed he had a domestic violence civil protection filed against his wife, and he had also the the, the crazy part about this story is that he had also been arrested in two thousand nine for aggravated battery on a pregnant victim, uh, and I know Urban Meyer had some issue. With your reporting, what's the deal here? Well, so it's Big Ten media days last week in Chicago. On Monday, I reported 
that in 2009 when Zach Smith, uh, former Ohio State, now former wide receiver coach, was a grad assistant at Florida. He was arrested for aggravated battery of a pregnant victim, which was his, his then-wife. Uh, they had been married exactly one year. And um, he was arrested for that in 2009. I also reported that he was granted a protective order against him the previous Friday, which is basically a, a restraining order for the next five years. Um, he can't get near his ex-wife. So I reported that Monday, and then Ohio State sent out a release that said, this is a personnel matter. Uh, we don't comment publicly on these sort of things. And basically that was it. So then later on Monday I reported that in 2015, Zach Smith also had been investigated um, for domestic violence, um, another felony charge. Uh, he was also investigated menaced by stalking. Um, so I reported that, that those issues Monday afternoon, 50 minutes after my report came out, they fired him. So then Tuesday, Urban Meyer at his press availability at the Big Ten Media Days was asked specifically about Zach Smith. He admitted he knew about 2009. He said him and his wife, Shelly, you know, helped counsel the couple. And ultimately the charges uh, were dropped by Courtney Smith, his ex-wife at that time. So I said, well, if you knew about 2009, and then in 2015, Urban said basically that they checked into it, there was nothing, and his quote was, I don't know who creates a story like that. So if I created a story that wasn't true, created something out of thin air, then why did you fire him? Because there was no more additional information that came out. He said, well, that ship has sailed, I'm only going to discuss this year's team. So literally about an hour after Ohio State's media availability ended Tuesday in Chicago, um, the Powell Police Department, where I had obtained the police report, released those reports that Zach Smith had been investigated for these domestic violence issues. So I don't believe Urban Meyer has discussed it since then, but the timeline to me is puzzling because if you say 2015 didn't happen, if you say you weren't aware of 2015 and you knew about 2009, the only thing that has changed is the information's now public. Um, you had no additional information, so then why did you fire Zach Smith? And he's been on Urban staff. Correct me if I'm wrong. He was there that once he became a GA in '09, up until Urban left, and then with him at Ohio State the entire time. Yes, and that's not your just your typical assistant coach. So Zach Smith is the grandson of Earl Bruce. Urban Meyer even said this last week at Big Ten Media Days. Earl Bruce has had more of an influence on him than any person on the face of the earth, with the exception of his dad. So Earl Bruce is like a second dad to him. Zach Smith is Earl Bruce's grandson. Zach Smith walked on to Bowling Green when Urban Meyer was coach at Bowling Green. Urban then went to Florida. Zach followed Urban to Florida. He was a quality control assistant for three years. He was a grad assistant for two years. He was there five years. He then went to Marshall and Temple, where he worked under former uh, Urban Meyer assistant Steve Adazio and Doc Holliday. And then when Urban retired, excuse me, returned from coaching in 2012, Urban Meyer hired Zach Smith as his wide receivers coach. In terms of getting fired, Zach Smith was the only assistant on Urban Meyer's staff 
that had been with him the entire entire time that Meyer returned to Ohio State in 2012. You know, my issue as an outsider, Urban, no one can argue he's he's probably the closest thing, and on any given day he's beaten this guy before in Nick Saban. He's the second-best coach, and I know some people in Ohio State would say he's the best. I, I can live with that. But when it comes to character stuff, I mean, we got a long history at Florida. Some weird things happen. He's had some issues at Ohio State even before this, just with some players, domestic violence, things that were taped. And it just, you know, for a guy that kind of feels like he tries to hang his hat on character, there are some sketchy things surrounding Urban Meyer. Is that a fair assessment? I believe I believe there was. I think in the last few years, though, that, that narrative seemed to change. And that's why this is so puzzling. If, if um, you know, why if these issues, you know, had been going on for several years, and even as far back as 2009, why would Urban Meyer, you know, put it, you know, go to such um, to go to such measures to keep this guy on his staff? And I think it goes back to the relationship with Earl Bruce. Um, you know, Urban even referenced his core values uh, at Big Ten Media Days. One of those is which is zero tolerance policy regarding violence toward women. I mean, he's suspended players in the past at Ohio State. Um, a number of player, prominent players. Was it Car- um, Carlos? H- didn't Carlos? H- was Carlos it Carlos Hyde? They got in trouble. Exactly, that's one of them. He has held up those standards. Uh, so, but basically, the the the, the situation with Zach Smith kind of goes back to more of when they, he had some questionable uh, tactics. I guess he would you would say, back at Florida. So that's why this, this one's so puzzling, is that, um, you know, the only reason he would stick his neck out for someone like Zach Smith certainly wasn't because of his coaching ability. And you can, no offense, you can find a wide receivers coach anywhere. They just promoted Brian Hartline, his interim yeah. coach. Um, I mean, Ohio State's not going to win or lose a national championship because who the wide receivers coach is. So that just shows to me how important that relationship between Earl Bruce and Urban Meyer was, and I think because of that, he probably bent over backward to 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 keep Zach on the staff again. And but again, the question is, why did you fire the guy if you had no if you had no additional information and you didn't know anything about 2015 and, and those domestic violations allegations? Excuse me. Why why would you all of a sudden fire him? Um, was it simply because his past from 2009? And, and then what happened happened in 2015 is now public. Again, only Urban can answer that question, and he's not answering it. Is this something that goes away, or is this going to be, you know, by the time week one comes around, or something that hovers over the program all year long? You know, I don't think it hovers over the program. I mean, I think it'll, you know, they'll start practicing. I think they, they report next week, um, late next week. Um, you know, unless unless there's something out there that, that shows um, that Ohio State was aware of all, um, all this uh, domestic violence uh, allegations, you know, for the past three or four years, if, and they knew about it, then I think it's an issue because then the question is, why in the world did you keep this guy on your staff for three or four years when, you know, there were these allegations on top of what happened in 2009, you know, again, he was arrested for aggravated battery on on his pregnant pregnant wife, ten weeks pregnant. 
Um, she did drop the charges in 2009. Um, so, again, based on his core values, specifically about zero tolerance against violence against women, you know, if they did know about it, then why in the world was he still on the staff? I mean, I think that's the only way it doesn't go away. But unless unless there's some evidence out there that, that proves that, I think it just this will just go away and Ohio State will continue to, to move on. Transitioning to Ohio State's rival, is this the year Michigan finally wins the conference? I know that they just think very highly of them. And you look at the odds to not only win the, the, the Big Ten, but also to actually, you know, win the national championship. I mean, you know, I guess Vegas loves it because they're not going to have to pay pay these numbers out. But the, the question I have is, is Shea Patterson the answer at quarterback? Because their offense has really struggled. And you look at the, their schedule – you know, they've got Notre Dame to open up. You know, they've got three or four teams that are that are projected in the in the top. They've got five teams on their on their schedule that are in the top twenty-five as far as teams projected to make the, the college football playoffs. So the schedule is not that easy. Um, you know, the defense is always going to be there. I just wonder if they figure if they figured out what they want to do offensively. And I guess part of that is, you know, I don't know, is Jim Harbaugh willing to to embrace more of the spread attack? Like, you know, even Nick Saban, you know, Wayne Kiffin, for all the criticism he's received, um, he got Nick Saban to open his eyes and to embrace the spread offense. I mean, obviously, Alabama's not strictly spread offense. Once they get a lead, they go back to run the ball, punt, play defense. But Lane changed Saban's viewpoint on that. Saban realized, look, we've got to do something differently on offense. We're not going to win these, you know, 21 to 17 games every week. Jim Harbaugh seems to want to run the old school type of offense. And that hasn't worked for Michigan so far. I mean, they haven't finished higher than third in their division. Um, one and five against Ohio State and Michigan State. Does the addition of Shea Patterson, does that change that? They added, you know, Jim McElwain, the former Florida coach's wide receivers coach. Does, does that kind of change the philosophy? Uh, we're going to find out. I, I don't think Michigan wins. The, I don't think they win their division this year either. Um, I just think the schedule's too tough. And, um, you know, until they can beat Ohio State, until they can beat Michigan State, I think Michigan State's vastly underrated. They've got literally everybody back, and they're under the radar. And usually when D'Antonio's got a team with that much experience that nobody's talking about, they usually do um, a lot of damage. I think Ohio, excuse me, Michigan State could compete for the, uh, for the Big Ten title. So I don't see Michigan, I don't see Michigan winning, it again, winning it again this year. I certainly don't think there's, that puts Harbaugh on the hot seat by any means, but certainly Michigan faithful have to be wondering, you know, hey, when are we ever going to win win this league with, with Jim Harbaugh if they don't do it this year? Well, I appreciate the time, Brett, and great job on that story in Ohio State. I mean, that, that was eye-opening. Ha- have a great weekend, and looking forward to getting college football season underway. Absolutely, anytime. Appreciate it. Well, coming up next, I- I'm going to defend Jim Harbaugh. I-, I-, I feel like he's kind of, you know – 
taking a lot of taking a lot of arrows right now. And I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for the guy. You're listening to John Middlecoff on Fox Sports Radio. Stay tuned. Coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15 percent or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Uh, my sources say that we have found Andy. A- Andy, you there? I'm here. Baptism oh. by fire for you. How do you? Are your pants wet? I just need to. Did you wet your pants? I want to know. No, you you sink or swim, and uh, you know I was taught at a young age how to swim, so I, I was fine. You were tremendous. You really were. I was listening on a battery operated radio because we had no power here. It was amazing. I mean, the middle like five minutes before the show started, everything went dark. I said, "What happened?" They said a grid was hit, and that's it. So. I'm here, you know, uh, whatever you want me to do, I'll follow your lead because you are the man. <laughs> You're the man now, really. No, 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 Andy. I was uh, I'm just glad you're okay. I didn't know, uh, you know, I, I didn't know what happened, but uh, I'm glad. Uh, thank you. I'm glad you're alive. Sometimes well, you just, you. you know, in life, you got to just, you never know. You know, you never know when your number will be called. Listen to you. I mean, like a dead, it's just a power failure. I mean, I didn't die. Everything's good. I mean, really, we got to move on okay. with this. I mean, I mean, uh, things have been worse. That's for sure. I mean, but uh, you're the football guy. You know, I, I'm listening now, and I'm hearing you, and I know you scouted. And I'm just thinking, like, when you fill out your form for taxes, I mean, you write down scout, NFL scout. I mean, I, I need to know, because when you go to school, you know, in my graduation books in high school, go back in the day, people would say, I want to be a dentist, a doctor, a lawyer. I don't remember anybody saying that they wanted to be a scout. And if it's, in fact, you want to be a scout, how do you become a scout? Is there a school for scouting? No, there really isn't. You know, I, I went to school to become uh, like a work in finance. My, my first job was I got an internship at Morgan Stanley. And the first day I showed up in my suit and tie, they gave me a spackle and I had to rip <laughs> things off the wall. And I said, this is stupid. I thought I was going to be like day trading. And that didn't quite happen. It was just, yeah, I wouldn't say dumb luck. I, I, I wrote for my school newspaper at Cal Poly, and one thing led to another. I started working in college football. Uh, I got a job at Fresno State, and it just kind of took off from there. I, a lot of people I worked with in the NFL when I was w- with the Eagles, we had a pretty young staff. You know, they were guys that had dreamt about working in the NFL or in mm-hmm. pro sports since they were really young. I, I always, you know, I probably dreamt more about talking about it or writing about it than I did actually working in it. Not that I was opposed to working in it, but I, I wasn't someone that was just set out from a super young age and on like some career path. It was just, I wouldn't say dumb luck, but it was just one of those things that kind of, that kind of happened and I just kind of, and I, and I wrote it in my late 20s, but as you know, and I think they, this is like the famous saying in football, you're just hired to ultimately be fired. And, uh, you know, as, as coaches get fired, you know, things happen and some people... You know, I was pretty young and made a career change, and I've never looked back. But I, you know, I, it, I'm glad you fun. mentioned that. I'm glad you mentioned because to me, as far as scouts are concerned, they have the safest job in the world, be it football or baseball, because scouts to me are the guys that get hired to get coaches or managers fired. I mean, think about yeah. that. I mean, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I look now. I live in the Cincinnati area, and honestly, the Cincinnati Reds have been going down 
down the crapper for the last several years. And they fire managers left and right. But really, it's the talent and the talent evaluators, also known as the scouts, that's their problem. And, and no one even knows. Their names are, like, invisible to the public. No one knows who the scouts are, but it's always the GM. Fire the GM. The fans will scream. Fire the manager. But it's the scouts. They're not doing their job, right? No, no, they're, they're clearly not in Cincinnati. And they've actually been a lot better since uh, what's-his-name was fired, though, right? The, 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 right, the Jim Reds Riggleman's been... doing a heck of a job, but still, yeah, he, 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 he really is. And, you know, in baseball, it's the one thing in football where there are no excuses is every team has the same amount of money. Now, some teams have more personal cash, but that revenue-sharing check, every team gets that massive amount of money. I think this year was like two fifty-five. Well, the salary cap is, what, one sixty-five. So it that easily pays for your players in baseball. I mean, I in my backyard, I got the San Francisco Giants who are terrible, and they have the second highest payroll in baseball. And then right down the street, the hottest team in baseball, the Oakland A's, have the lowest payroll in baseball. But Billy and his crew just—I mean, anyone that follows baseball know those guys are incredible. And in football, you know, everyone kind of has the same shot. You know, I, I obviously you don't unless you have Belichick or Brady or probably Aaron Rodgers. But in reality, you get the same amount of draft picks. You get the same amount of money to sign free agents. And b- basketball is somewhat similar to that. But in football, there there's a reason that there, there it hasn't been that much parity, mainly because of the quarterbacks. But mm-hmm. in terms of the talent evaluation, everyone gets the same amount of swings to sign players and, and have the capital to be able to pay for them. Okay, let me pull back the curtain a little bit now because you've been a scout and you know what's going on and you've been there, done that. Let me talk about Jameis Winston for a second. He's suspended for the first three games of the year. NFL found a couple bull of grabbing the crotch of a female Uber driver back in March. This is back what in 2016. An, what an embarrassment. Uh, it really is. But as a scout, do you go back and look at the personal bios and rap sheet of these guys or you just report on what his skill set is on the field? I, I think that you are more, in this day and age, and in my experience, you're more set out to f- accumulate information than you are evaluate a guy like that. Like if you are the SEC scout for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, that's somewhat of a unique one because it's kind of in their backyard, right? Like Jameis Winston, I, I don't know exactly logistically how far away Tampa Bay is from Tallahassee, but, I mean, it's not that far away. So right. it's easy for the GM and stuff to get to the program. But if you're away – uh, you know, if it if it was a program that's on the opposite end of where your team is, with a player like that that's a no-brainer top-five talent, you have to just get his – and it has some character concerns, and clearly he did. Had some crazy things happen to him in college. It's all about accumulating information, talking to high school coaches, talking to other coaches, uh, you know, in that conference that recruited him, talking to coaches on his staff, talking to academic advisors, talking to his teammates. It's, it's not as much like can he – complete the five yard out it's like can this guy function in society oh can he stay on the field yeah as we found out he's remember i remember that remember the florida state game his last year there when he got suspended for the first half or maybe the game and he came out in his pads and jimbo lost it and told him get back in the locker take off the pads what are you doing he got more suspensions from the baseball coach than the football coach guy it just it's crazy he he showed us what he was in college and a lot of people just didn't listen, and now it came back to bite them. And just, just an embar- I mean, that's embarrassing. That 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 cannot happen. It but you, it's all- funny you mention that. You know, we know what he was in college, and that's why he was drafted where he was. Because I've always believed talent trumps trouble. If you got the talent, they'll put the trouble 100%. on the back burner, right? 
Yes. It's amazing. 100%. Really? I, I, I would say the it. one thing, I, I would imagine you'll never truly know because he went number one overall, but how many teams around the league would not have taken him? I, I don't know the answer to that. You know, I, I would imagine. I'm not sure if Belichick in New England would have taken him. I really don't think yeah, so. Yeah, I, I would imagine there's a handful of teams that 100% wouldn't have touched him in the first round. You know, now maybe if he would have, like, plummeted to the third, then all teams don't care. But I, I think you look back and you go, him and Mariota on the field. Mariota was good two years ago, terrible last year. But just who would you rather have in your organization? It's a no-brainer. You'd just rather have Mariota. He's a much higher level, no-nonsense, Never get to, you never have to worry about him at all. Like, that's – Jameis, if they don't make the playoffs this year and he comes back and he's not good, he's getting everyone in that organization fired. Like, he is responsible for that. You know, that's that's the crazy part about – that's what I don't miss is, like, everything – Jameis has the keys to everyone's job in that entire building. No now, you could argue it's the GM's fault for – you should never have put him in that position, right? I mean, it's – they shouldn't – they should just shouldn't have drafted him, but they did. And now they're kind of linked to him, and they're going to sink or swim, and it feels like they're sinking. No doubt about that. He's John Middlecoff. I'm Andy Furman. We're in for Jason McIntyre on the big league. This is Fox Sports Radio. And, of course, these guys actually play for peanuts. We'll explain that next. But first, let's go to our guy, the big eye, Isaac Lowenkron, for the latest. Andy and John were monitoring an injury that occurred in Carolina Panthers training camp a short time ago when starting right tackle Daryl Williams was carted off the field after going down with an apparent right knee injury in a non-contact situation. A report from the Panthers' website said Williams was preparing to make a block when his right knee buckled and he fell back, emitting screams that were unnerving to hear. Williams, by the way, is entering a contract year. On Friday, Los Angeles Chargers cornerback Jason Verrett tore his Achilles on the first day of their training camp and is out for the season. Baseball overnight, Mike Moustakas was traded from the 31-71 Kansas City Royals to the 60-46 Milwaukee Brewers for two prospects. On the field Friday night, the Red Sox and Twins were tied at three as Mookie Betts awaited the first pitch of the bottom of the 10th inning. Swung on, we're going home! Mookie Betts with a walk-off winner. How do you like that? Another Mookie moment at Fenway Park. And the Red Sox win game number 72. Oh, it was hammer time for Mookie Betts as he lost that one over the Green Monster. The call on Red Sox Radio. Andy and John, back to you. Thank you, I've seen it about an hour. And we've got John Mullenkamp. I'm Andy Furman in for Jason McIntyre. This is the big lead. And Garrett Brosius who joined us in just about a minute. And by the way, we are coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to Geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. By the way, you can get to us on Twitter. Yes, we have Twitter accounts at John Middlecoff. How's that? M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F-F or at Andy Furman FSR or... By the old-fashioned method, which is telephone, 877-99 on Fox, which translates to 877-996-6369. And, John, my man, John, we're going to talk a little baseball. You mentioned the uh, fact of the Okanese doing well, but no one's watching them play. And we have a guy coming up right around the bend, Garrett Brocius, an attorney, an aspiring attorney, an aggressive attorney, who, by the way, is fighting and suing Major League Baseball. Let's bring him in right now on the Fox Sports Celebrity Hotline. Garrett Brocius with John Middlecoff. I'm Andy Furman. And, John... 
Finally, uh, a man here fighting for the little man, attorney Garrett Brocius, suing Major like League it. Baseball. Garrett, tell us how bad salaries are in minor league baseball, which forced your hand to sue MLB. Well, first, thanks for having me, Andy. And, and yeah, I think the average baseball fan just doesn't understand how low the salaries are. I mean, I think that most uh, baseball fans realize that minor league players aren't getting rich, but the average minor league player is making $7,500 or less for the entire year. And when you compare that to other, the equivalent of other minor league systems, you know, NBA D-leaguers just got a raise. Uh, minor league hockey players are making much more than that. And it just doesn't make sense that, you know, we, we have uh, a sport with exponential revenue growth and their, their minor league players are below the poverty line. Here's my question, though. Like you use the G League or the D League, whatever you want to call it now, as an example. If I'm an undrafted free agent in basketball, I don't get a big signing bonus. But if I'm a second round pick in Major League Baseball, you know, whatever that number is, seven, eight, nine hundred thousand, hell, it might even be seven figures. I am getting some money from the club, correct? Yeah, yeah. But here's here's the diff- here's here's the thing: the vast majority of guys aren't getting that big signing bonus. You know, there are forty rounds in the draft, and you know the reason they have all those guys is one, they want to control a vast number of players, and you know hope they get a diamond in the rough. And two, they need those players uh, in order to have the minor league system. You know, when you're signing sixteen year old Dominican players. Um, you need you need several levels in the minor leagues to, to develop those guys. You know, obviously, when you're 16, you aren't big league ready. And so they have this vast minor league system. They enjoy the fruits of, of having these players under control for seven years. But then the salary started around $1,100 per month, only paid during the season. And then they go to spring training, and you know they aren't paying them at all during spring training. That's an entire month of work where they just aren't paying them. Garrett Broshi is joining us, attorney who's suing Major League Baseball with John Middlecoff. I'm Andy Furman on Fox Sports Radio. The question of the day, Garrett, has to be this. Why do those minor league basketball and hockey players get a better deal than minor league baseball players? Well, with, with hockey, it's pretty simple. Um, unlike minor league baseball players, the minor league hockey players have a union. Um, and they, they've had one for a couple decades now. And so across the board, you see better benefits and higher wages across the board, even though I would say arguably minor league baseball is more popular than minor league hockey. You know, if you're in triple A hockey, uh, the average salary is around eighty five, ninety thousand dollars for the year. Uh, if you make the playoffs, you, you get a, uh, you get a playoff bonus. You get a share of that, that revenue. Um, and you know, per diem is, is, um, is a nice, nice per diem too when you're on the road. And the minimum salary is around 40 grand, I think, in triple A hockey. In AAA baseball, the minimum salary is only around twelve grand. So twelve grand compared to forty grand—that's a, that's a huge difference. And it just—and and so really, the what it comes down to is the minor league hockey players get unionized, and minor league baseball players haven't. Do you have a number that would be a fair wage for these guys? Well, you know what we're trying to do in our lawsuit is um, is just saying that they have to comply with your basic minimum minimum wage requirements. You know, a minimum wage worker and a full-time minimum wage worker in our country makes around fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a year. That's not a, not a lot of money, uh, but it's more than what minor league baseball players are currently making. And so that's at least a starting point. You know, at the at the end of the day, you know, if these guys did unionize, I think a fair wage, you know, would be higher than that. You know, six when you're in Double A and Triple A, six, seven thousand fans are coming to see you play each night. Uh, but you know, in a lot in a lot of instances, the bat boy or the the person selling the beer is making more per hour than the guy playing first base. 
Garrett Brosius, attorney, let me put pencil to paper, if I may, and if I'm incorrect, please stop me. Let's say minor league baseball players have a 143-game season. That means, to me, these kids get paid like $52.45 a game. That's $5.82 an inning. $5.82. Let's compare that to a guy I know here in Cincinnati, Joey Votto, who is making $25 million this year. Say he plays all 162 games. That means he's making $154,321 a game or $17,146.78 an inning. An inning. All right? Is that yeah, is that is that logic? Is that close? Am I in the ballpark here? I, I think so, and, and it's pretty staggering when you put it like that. And and look, you know, Joey Votto is obviously one of the best players on earth. He deserves to make a huge salary. Um, but you know, these minor league players have just been completely ignored uh, simply because they can't ignore him. You know, Joey Votto, he has a, a good agent. He has uh, the Major League Baseball Players Association looking after his interests. Nobody's looking out after the interest of the minor league players. And that's why, even though you know revenues have have increased exponentially in baseball, minor league salaries they haven't budged at all. You know the question, the thing I see though is it's almost the majority of the guys in the minor league, especially like you said, it's a forty round draft, are never going to sniff major league baseball. They're they're not even major league baseball players, and the franchises don't even view them like that. They more view them as placeholders. Couldn't I almost view it like a uh, company views an internship? I mean, most companies don't pay interns very much. What's what's really the difference? Yeah, John, there there are a couple differences there, and you know I appreciate the point because you know that's that's the reaction I think a lot of people have. But a couple differences there between interns and, and baseball play, minor league baseball players. First, the minor league baseball player is signing a seven year employment contract that, on its face, is calling it an employment contract. Well. If you decide to uh, require an, an, a worker to sign that seven-year employment contract, we have wage and hour laws that you have to comply with in this country. You know, in 1938, um, the, the the federal law was passed, and then states around the country also have their own wage and hour laws that you have to comply with too. Uh, so well, that's, didn't that's didn't one... their un- didn't their union collectively bargain that? Correct. No, and and that that's part of the problem is there is no union in minor league baseball, and so. You know, the, the owners have been able to do whatever they want to. It's, it's a completely unequal um, um, bargaining position here. You know, on one hand, you have the, the minor league players that uh, are desperate to get into this industry. They're chasing a dream, and they're young, and a lot of times don't even have a high school education in the case of the 40% of Latinos that are playing in the minor leagues. And then on the other hand, you have powerful billionaire owners. Well, who's going to win in, the, in that negotiation? And, of course, it's the owners. And so they've... They've ignored the they've they've ignored the welfare of the players and have forced them to find sign these long contracts and um, and pay them below the poverty line, which is just fundamentally unfair. Garrett Brocious, let me leave you with this: number one, how hopeful are you for a change with the lawsuit? And number two, do you think we're going to see a decrease in professional ball players in baseball, and they may shift to other sports because of the pay grade? Well, right. Um, you know, so, so two questions there. You know, I, I am hopeful. You know, it's it's. It's not the, the end all, you know, in, in the end, I would love to see these guys uh, have a union, just like the minor league hockey players have a union. Um, but, you know, it, it would help provide some relief at least. And, you know, the, the, the other thing is that, um, you know, these, these players, they're, they're working their tails off and, and people around the country are coming to see them play. And, you know, they have no clue that when they go home, they're often sleeping on air mattresses, cramming six guys into a two-bedroom apartment, or they're sleeping on uh, somebody's futon and host families. 
in a host family relationship simply because they can't afford to pay rent. Um, and, you know, I hope hopefully things like that will, will change going forward. There you go. Garrett Brochius, thank you for your time. Best of luck on your lawsuit. Best of luck to you and helping those kids getting a minimum wage. Thank you so much for joining right. us on Fox Sports Radio. Thank you, guys. There you go. He's John Middlecoff. Get him on Twitter at John, M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F-F, or at Andy Furman, FSR, or 877-99 on Fox, 877-996-6369. We'll read some tweets. We'll take your calls. But all that really matters is wins. We'll explain that next. It was a learning experience. That's coming right up. He's John Middlecoff. I'm Andy Furman. We're in for Jason McIntyre on Fox Sports Radio about 13 minutes before the top of the hour. And uh, we have a Twitter account. We'll get to your tweets uh, when we get them. At John Middlecoff, M-I-D-D-L-E-K-I-U-F-F. At Andy Furman, FSR, 877-99 on Fox. And by the way, i got some great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. John, i got something that really and truly is in my craw, and you could help me. You could help me. I, I, you, I know you want to help me. I, I can help, for sure. Okay. I, I can help. This, the, this situation came to light uh, the other day with the Milwaukee Brewers and their relief pitcher, Josh Hader. After the All-Star game it was announced, he tweeted some anti-gay and racist tweets. He said he was a 17-year-old kid at the time. He said he's, he was young. He was stupid. He's 24 now. You know, first of all, I don't buy that, the young and stupid thing. Just say you made a mistake. It was in your genes, and that's the way you believed, okay? You believed in that. He was a year away from voting. He was a year away from enlisting in the armed forces, and he's saying he's young and stupid. I don't buy it. What was your take on that? Uh, well, I, I'd never even heard of the guy, to be honest with you. That's more of an indictment on the sport of baseball because huh, they're huh. playing that they're in San Francisco right right now. And I watched him two nights ago. He is nasty. Yes. Uh, I, you know, just Twitter, you know, just freaked and went nuts. My first reaction was, is I saw multiple he, Lorenzo Kane and he had one other teammate that was at the all-star game immediately defended him two minority guys. So I, I go, well, I've never heard of this guy. I don't know anything about him. We are in a generation now of guys that are, like, when I when I started on Twitter and started tweeting on Twitter, you know, I was in my late 20s. So you have a better feel for what you can and can't tweet. I can't, I'm not saying I would not have tweeted what he tweeted. There's zero excuse for him tweeting that. Correct. But th- th- there is going to be a generation of people in 2010, 2011 that were in their 14, 15, 16. You see it all the time. Again, not this bad. There is no excuse for it. But guys like the NBA draft, they get they get drafted and just tweeted, just blasted like the guy they're now teammates with, you know, when they were like 15 years old. But I, I, I don't judge. Like, to me, the words on Twitter, like, I don't know the guy. I'm not I, – I know nothing about him. But when I see his teammates immediately get his back and they have continued to get his back, you know, I, I, I put some stock into that. Yeah, I go, I'm well, with you there. Right. There's and no minority doubt. teammates. I'm not just saying, you know, Joe Blow, white guy playing third base. These are minority teammates. Lorenzo Cain's been a world champion in, in baseball, and they have been over the top defending the guy. No doubt. And you know what, though? I'm with you on that because you got to live together in that locker room for six or seven months. But when they came back in Milwaukee and put it, came into the game the other day, the fans gave him a standing ovation. I, I don't know what that means for the yeah, fans. I don't, I don't get that. I, Are yeah, they rooting because what. he's a hometown guy wearing the Milwaukee jersey? Or is that their mindset? Is that their belief? I, I don't want to even touch that. That's ridiculous. But another story, which is it's similar, but not really the same, but it's on the same wavelength in my mind. 49ers with their quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. He dated a porn star. All right? Yeah. Well, 
Kiara uh, Mia. And you probably know about this. You're on the you're on the call. You may even know the woman. You might know the uh, woman. I don't want maybe not, I don't know. But his coach never Kyle Shannon. Okay. His coach Kyle Shannon said it was a good learning experience. All I know is this. Why are we so obsessed with the private lives of athletes, with the guy's Twitter account, with the guy who's dating, what he's dating? What about the private lives of those who report on these guys? I mean, to me, wins count. That's all that matters if you're a sports fan. It's all that matters, really. And and honestly, take a listen to this. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo addressed the situation at the beginning of training camp. He said now he realizes things are much different than they were during his time with the Patriots. Take a listen to this. Life is different now. Um, My life... uh off the field. I've never really been big on, you know, uh, being very public with things, you know, even social media. I'm not out there a ton, but, uh, you know, my life's looked at differently. I'm under a microscope. And it's like Kyle said, it is a good learning experience. Uh, Just have to take it in stride. I mean, it is what it is. Who cares if he dates a porn star? In in my mind, he's my hero. He's my hero (laughs) now, really. What was your take when you first heard the story? I mean, I had to do a double take. I I, I, Maybe I had... Figured that he was the all-American boy. You know, I, I I don't know. I just didn't have him pegged for that. You know, I, I mean, maybe, we, again, in the Bay Area, Clay Thompson is notoriously, he dates and goes out with a lot of Instagram models. But you say the word Instagram model, and then you say the word porn star. <laughs> you just say the word porn star, people just kind of, you know, their head moves. I, I think people just shocked. I, I don't think really they care. I also think, though, it speaks to he's a quarterback. You know, and starting quarter, he's not just a quarterback. He's, I don't know. I mean, well, he's the face I, I of the team. He, yeah, he's you the know, face of the team. The San Francisco 49ers, he's been pretty famous for the last couple of years because he's been Brady's backup. And then he was so good last year. He's also just so strikingly handsome that I, you know, he, he's not like just some random quarterback. He's like the best looking quarterback, one of them we've ever seen. So that, that, he's kind of become famous for that, right? That he's just a, such a good looking guy. And then he was dating a porn star that was, and again, I don't discriminate age-wise, but she was way older than him. I, I just she think was 41, all the variables. Yeah. You yeah. know, 41-year-old porn star. Right, but, but put the clock back for a second. Back in the day, Joe Willie Namath, I'm well, not 100%. saying he was dating. Well, he, he, I don't know if he's dating porn stars or not, but he was going out there on the clubs on a nightly basis, and that basically you know, gave him the nickname Broadway Joe, but there was no social media. Social media, to me, has harmed many an athlete. Really? I, I don't know I do what think, good it does. I, I, I do think, though, in this instance, that he was in L.A. in a hot spot when it turns out it feels like she was the one that tipped TMZ off. There is an argument to be made like, Jimmy, wh- wh- why didn't you guys just hang out in the hotel or do whatever you were going to do? But when you go out in L.A., to me, that's where the learning experience, like, Jimmy, if you go to, I, I'm not even... I've never been to that hot spot in L.A., but clearly the paparazzi hang out there, and they will take. They would have taken pictures of Jimmy Garoppolo if he was there with me and you, let alone a porn star, right? So it's like you got to be cognizant of that. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Look, I could care less what he does. I think most fans could I'm care less. You. But if he loses the first five games, then they're going to say, oh. oh, the porn star situation. If he goes 5-0, and oh, He's a hero. That's what it's all about. You got to win. It's all about W's. That's what it is. Hey, John Middlecalf, Andy Firm, another hour. Wait till you hear what you need to do to join this team. We'll tell you all about it on Fox Sports Saturday coming up here right around the bend. Let the fireworks begin. He's John Middlecalf. I'm Andy Furman. We're for Jason McIntyre on Fox Sports Saturday. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio Studios. 15 minutes save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com for a free rate quote. 
And we are rolling along on the hour of power, a.k.a. the power hour. John Middlecuff, you're doing one hell of a job. I'm proud to be with you. Let's butt hands together. Give me a fist pump there, will you, please? I just I just gave you one. Just Thank aired you. you out. Love it. I love it. You're doing wonders. You really are. And I'm proud to be with you. Proud to call you my new friend. How's that? Uh, proud to call you're my, my new, new friend. friend as well. Thank you. And you know what? I said that the fireworks begin. What do I mean by that? The NFL season is here. But, but, if there's controversy and the fireworks are beginning, you know somehow, somewhere it's going to trace back to the Dallas Cowboys. Because there's always controversy with the Dallas Cowboys. Remember a year ago, it was Ezekiel Elliott. Now, it's Des Bryant. Now, it's also Stephen Jones, the executive VP son of Jerry with the National Anthem. Is it Dallas? Is it the organization? Is it the people that run it? Or is the fact that Dallas is almost the epicenter of the NFL, America's team? Yeah, I think it's twofold. I think it's everything they do and say is a massive deal. I mean, they're the Yankees of the sport. Maybe not on the field, but just... You know, when it comes to buzz, they're the warriors of the sport. Uh, and I also think it's their fan base. I mean, they're, it's, they're the Dallas Cowboys in Texas. The, the, the Jerry, whether he's right or wrong, truly believes to his core that kneeling is bad for business. And that's really what – that's. this is a business. This isn't – you know, the, the, that's really what bothers Jerry and I think a lot of these owners. Now, I don't think they're handling it correctly because I think it was just going to organically kind of go away. Uh, but they just, you know, comments like what Steven and Jerry have said the last couple of days, just refuse to let it just kind of dissipate into the air because I promise you this, the moment someone kneels, and it's probably not going to happen on the Cowboys because I saw Zeke and Dax that they're not going to kneel. They're not dumb. They know where their bread's buttered. And Jerry signs the check. But someone around the league is going to do something. You know immediately the president's going to tweet about it, and it's going <sighs> to become, uh, you know, something. And I, I personally, like – haven't we moved on? Like, if you just go out, talk to people in, you know, football fans, wherever, the gym, dinner, no, no one's talking about this anymore. Just let it go away. The president is. And you know why? I got to believe yeah, he's well, talking he's about bitter. it. He's it diverts, at the NFL. And it diverts the conversation from Russia. That's, what it, that's why he's talking about it. I, I believe that. But you hit it right on the head. It was a bullseye for you, John, but when you said it's bad for business, you know, I'm not so certain the owners even give a damn what, what the players are standing or kneeling or whatever they're doing or fist pumping what they're doing it for. They just they know don't. the bottom line that last year attendance was down, viewership was down, and this is one of the reasons why it was down. Fans do not want to see this. They want to go out there and enjoy their Sundays, Thursday night, Monday night, and watch their football because during the week they're slaving they're getting their 10 bucks an hour whatever it may be they got to pay their car payment their mastercard bill and they want to just get away for three or four hours and watch a football game but in fairness to the owners believing that it's hurting their business their business is in partnership now they make more money but with the players so i I know the players don't quite realize this but the reason that the salary cap goes up exponentially every year is first and foremost because of the tv contracts And the reason you get big TV contracts is because people watch. So you don't want to push consumers away. You want more consumers to possibly, you know, to come as, you know, as possible. And the NBA is a good example. And you can tell me that the players were on board, whatever. They have a rule. They mandate everyone stands. And when Adam Silver was asked last year, he said everyone's going to stand. And what happened? Everyone stood. Because they know it's just bad for business. And the NFL and some of these players, I know Jarrell Casey of the Titans said something last week. Like, what? Just 
you, you, this is bad for your bottom line. And ultimately, this is a business. That's at the end of the day, this is a business. It's a bottom line, profit oriented, win or lose business. Okay, and now we can move to really what the real story is, which I don't think many people, at least in the media, are talking about. Yeah, it's bad for business. Yeah, people are sick and tired of it. And where do we go from here? And the NFL is going to make a decision. The real story is this. Do team rules, I guess, are team rules more important than NFL rules or what a player does? What do I mean by that? Years ago, if you remember, Johnny Damon was an outfielder for the Boston Red Sox. He had a beard. Yeah. He was traded to the Yankees. The Yankees said, you can play for us, but you've got to take a shave. We don't want facial hair. Before that, Raleigh Fingers, who was famous for his handlebar mustache, was traded from Oakland to the Cincinnati Reds. He refused to report. He didn't want to play for the Reds. Why? They had a team rule. There was no facial hair. Now, if a team says, like a Jerry Jones says, I want you told to the line. I want you standing for the anthem. Does that supersede what the NFL may or may not do? I mean, that's where it gets complicated. That's why I think the NFL freaked out. Like, Jerry, why are you talking? You know, just let them be. But I, I think Jerry is just a maverick, a renegade. He, he, He's going to operate and beat to his own drum. And he knows that the only thing that matters to him, for, first and foremost, not obviously the NFL, the, the fandom of the overall sport is important, but it's his fans. And he views his fans as not wanting that to happen. And say what you want about, you know, it's I know it's not PC on Twitter, but that's what's made Jerry the most successful businessman in all of the NFL. A guy that came in with not that much money in 1989, bought the Cowboys for basically peanuts, and he, he's been a driving force to help take the NFL and the Dallas Cowboys to a completely different level. And that, that's, what he's, that's what he believes. And that, that's what the NBA believes. <laughs> There's a reason. the, the Remember, uh, you know, I was young, but uh, uh, I don't even know how to say his name, Abdul Rauf. Back in the right, day, right, with the Denver, you know, did something, right. and they they basically banned him. They well, he don't was fined like that. thirty thousand something dollars. They fined yeah, him too. And I, I and I remember reading a story that some of his teammates were like, "Bro, this is probably just don't. Why? What are you doing? You're going to throw away your career." And at the end of the day, these these careers, especially in the NFL, right, are so short. Why, why would you risk the ability your your earning potential when if you do become a prominent player and a famous player? If you if you do feel strongly about that, then you can use your name for better. And you right say what you and, want about Colin Kaepernick. He's he's taking the fight to you know social justice. That's what and he's his doing this career is now. And he's doing, and look, yeah. you're on you're on his coast. You live on the same coast as Colin Kaepernick. So you would agree, and maybe not, but I, I would say this: this whole situation could have been squashed from the get go if the San Francisco 49ers had a pair of hanging downs and would have said to him, look. We know what you're fighting for. We appreciate what you're fighting for. Do it on your time, not with our uniform on. You and I cannot go to work at Fox Sports Radio wearing a Schwarzstick, a T-shirt. We just can't do it. It, it, it. The company did not want that, will not approve of that, and it will get us screwed. Bottom line, I, you can't do that. But if the 49ers would have told him from the get-go, go on a street corner. As soon as practice is over, take the jersey off. I don't care what you do. But as long as you're in the confines of the San Francisco 49ers organization and representing us, we don't want you doing that. I would say the one thing is Jed York, you know, through the good and the bad times, has kind of hung his hat on being this progressive, open-minded guy. And, uh, you know, that's just not the, that's not the angle he's going to take. And he was the one guy or one of the guys in these meetings that kind of stood up has been, I, I don't know, player-centric. Uh, and that's that's just not going to be the tact that he takes. It, it never will be because he 
he's kind of counterculture when it comes to all these other old school, old money NFL owners. He's kind of views himself as this young. Now he didn't make his money on his own, but progressive, you know, young guy, Silicon Valley. You know, he yeah. once said like the 49ers are like a startup, even though they've been around since well before I was born. Uh, so I, I just, I, I that was never going to be an option for the 49ers. You know, it amazes me because Colin Kaepernick, to me, there had to be a job for him in the NFL last year, somewhere, some, someplace. However, I think owners look at him as toxic. I remember Baltimore was someone interested. Seattle was interested for a while. And maybe the other owners say, hey, look, or the league said, look, we don't want this guy around. He's too toxic, toxic, and he brings up too much negative media attention. And again, like you say, he's bad for business. But you can't tell me that there was not a job somewhere, someplace for Colin Kaepernick in the NFL last year. 100%. I mean, he should have been on a run. There's no – that's not – no one can even make that argument. To me, though, now, as we sit here, 7-28-2018, you don't get to be – like, the the argument's now over. He's suing the NFL. If I, if he's, I he's sued Fox Sports, you know, I, I can't get mad when they won't put me on radio, right? So it's – the conversation is now over. Like, his his employment is now over. Now, whether he was, you know, screwed and colluded against last year – Definitely a conversation to be had. I mean, I, you, you couldn't with a straight face argue against that. But at, at this year, and I think that's why the conversation, maybe it's just our times, we, we just move on with regardless what the story is. Yeah. But it's, his career's over now that he's – I think the fascinating one is, you know, I and I've watched this guy play for the last five years is Eric Reed, the safety that's kneeled with him. It is 100% a 53-man roster guy. Depending on the team, he might be a starter, he might not be. He's still unsigned. Oh, he came to Cincinnati. Been... Oh, wait a minute. Uh, you know, I live like 15 miles south of Cincinnati. I live in oh, yeah, he did, he did meet he with Mike Brown. Huh? He, he, he met with Mike Brown, the owner of the team, and the question was posed to him. And, and, and Eric said basically, and not, not these certain terms, but he said, and I'm paraphrasing now, I'm not so sure. When Mike asked him if, in fact, he would stand or kneel or whatever, so I don't know. That was the end of it. That, that was the end of the interview. And he's still looking for a job. Yeah, to me, if he does not play this season, then like Kaepernick, I mean, they were colluded against. Now, you could argue, I don't know all the legalities about, you know, does, does anyone have to employ anyone? I, I, I'm not that uh, deep into all my legal terms, but I know this. He is 100% worthy of a roster not just a camp invite like he's a 53 man player he's a starter not a 53 man or he's a starter on a team he really yeah, is yeah i mean d- depending on the team he he's right. I, I, he's a little flawed but 100% like he he'd start on half the teams in the NFL for sure so that's this one's going to be a problem for the NFL and you have to wonder if someone in the NFL's front office a Roger Goodell type almost forces a team to take him because how would Eric Reed, if he's if six months goes by and he's not on a team like Kaepernick, wouldn't he sue the league? He should. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, no if that guy's suing that. for minor league baseball wages, I, if I was a lawyer, I'd get Eric Reed and I'd sue the NFL. No doubt about that. But then again, he'll be like Kaepernick on the outside looking in with his nose pressed against the glass. We'll I know it's a, it's a tough spot to be in. He's John Middlecoff. I tell you what, get him on Twitter at John, M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F-F, at Andy Furman, FSR, 877-99 on Fox, 877-996-6369. That's our phone number. Get on it. Give us a holler. I'm sure you have an opinion. But football is here. But wait till you hear who doesn't like it. That's next. 
It's past its time. That's coming right up. John Middlecoff, Andy Furman, Fox Sports Saturday in for Jason McIntyre on Fox Sports Radio. About 19 past the hour right here on Fox Sports Radio. By the way, I got some great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. And, JM, I have a tweet, and I guess we elicited some response here with this uh, team rules versus NFL rules with the anthem. One neck, two chains tweets us and says, I remember Panthers owner telling Cam Newton not to get tattooed or grow long hair after he was drafted because it wasn't, quote, the look he wanted for a quarterback, and the media agreed. Now the media is okay with Jimmy Garoppolo and porn stars, he questions. I don't think it's the media. I think it's team ownership. I mean, the team ownership, I guess, as you mentioned, uh, the York family in San Francisco, it kind of turned the corner, turned the other cheek with the porn star as opposed to the look in, in uh, Carolina with Cam Newton. That's all I can say. It has nothing to do with the media. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 what, would the, what would Jed York have done to Jimmy? I mean, fight him? I mean, I, I don't see. And Cam Newton, I, I wouldn't say Jerry Richardson is the best example. The NFL couldn't get rid of him quick enough. Right. right? I mean, they, yeah. God, they're they, they glad to have him long gone. Uh, kind of crazy that part of the deal was selling to uh, to David Tepper, I think his name is, that they had to keep the, st- the statue of Jerry Richardson up in front of the, uh, you know, in, in front of the building. The reality, too, with Cam Newton, he could, once after like his rookie year, once it became clear that he was, I'm not the biggest Cam Newton guy, I think he's pretty flawed, but when he is humming, he is a an elite player. That once he, you know, kind of made a name for himself, probably past like year two, he could have grown out his hair to his, you know, feet and got his whole body tattooed. They wouldn't have been able to do anything. No doubt about that. You know, we talk football, and basically this show, a three-hour show, basically 95% of the show is football. Why? People love football. It's the number one sport in the world right now. Number one sport, at least in the U.S. of A. And the camp's open this week. People are going nuts. Preseason, fantasy football drafts right around the corner. But I say one sport isn't so happy, and that's Major League Baseball. Baseball is supposed to dominate the summer months. It was, and I underline was, it was the national pastime. Believe it or not, this weekend is Hall of Fame induction weekend, and you can hardly get a sniff of that information anywhere. Attendance is down around 5% overall. And you mentioned this early on, you living on the Bay Area coast over there. Uh, Oakland was like the third or fourth best record in Major League Baseball right now. No one knows about it. What is wrong no. with baseball? How have they fallen from grace so fast? When would you say, Andy, that they lost their quote-unquote billing as the national pastime? Fifteen years ago? You know, i got to believe when when football just expanded from Sunday to Sunday night to Thursday to Monday, when football became more present, uh, that it kind of squashed baseball. It really did. Yeah. I, I often say I'm 33 years old, so Magic and Larry, uh, you know, I was born in the mid-'80s. To me, Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and the explosion of the internet, like they're the magic and Larry of my generation, mm-hmm. right? Just the popularity, the explosion. With baseball, I think there's two things. One, just one thing football has over them, and I would say basketball, definitely the NBA playoffs. The NBA regular season has been rendered now meaningless, uh, but clearly more people watch a national game than they would in a national baseball game is the urgency to the sport. There's just none of these games really matter that much right now for baseball. And in football, the the college football probably more so than the NFL, but every game matters because there's only one a week. 
So right. and the and then the gambling aspect is so many people like gambling on sports. It's it's impossible to gamble on baseball. It's just really hard just because Bumgarner or Max Scherzer's pitching, you know, they pitch every 5 days, you know, I'd say what, 20% of their starts, they're just either going to lose or not get the run support. So it's just hard to bet on it. And just the way people are wired, I would say now with social media and the pace of everything. I mean, I I get mad now when my Wi-Fi isn't fast. And baseball <laughs> is just very, very slow. And it's just it's not conducive to our current culture. Though I I am one of the rare people in my early 30s that watches easily a baseball game a night. I mean, I I, so I you, you're telling me like, you could turn on the tube and watch one inning through nine, one through nine on sitting well, in front I, of the tube. I, I, I'm a NFL. big Giants guy. I watch just about every Giants game, but I think I'm at the point now where it's now they're after they lost last night. They're probably, I mean, they are not going to make the playoffs. I, I don't have the energy with football training camp starting to be super invested. Uh, you know, every night I, I just can't do it. I, I'm more likely probably to watch an A's game, but I, I do watch a lot of baseball. But I'll tell you this. I went on a bachelor party. My younger brother's getting married. He's in his late 20s. One guy on the trip actually was drafted at a high school and played professional baseball. We talked much more Jimmy Garoppolo and the porn star, the Warriors. Baseball is not a topic of conversation with young people. They, they are you know just what? not baseball, watching it. They're not consuming it. Great point. Baseball doesn't have any drama. Think about that. The only drama baseball has is when the commissioner wants to change the game. You know, he wants to make uh, w- 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 intentional walks automatic. You know, that's the drama. Yeah. You know, football has drama 365, 24-7. And, and as bad as everybody talks about the Pro Bowl, the Pro Bowl TV ratings were better than Major League Baseball's All-Star Game ratings on TV. Uh, not even close. Yeah, it's 100%. amazing. It really is. So baseball needs drama. And recently, when uh, Mike Trout came out and said he wants to be his personal life to be personal and he doesn't want to go out there and stay, you know, spend time away from his family, and the commissioner of Major League Baseball, Rob Manfred, and in all his wisdom said, well, he needs to market himself. No, you need to market him. Get the Red Sox and Yankees off Sunday night on ESPN. They're on every freaking Sunday night. Really, put the Angels on so we can see baseball's best player, Mike Trout, if you want to market the kid. I'm going to disagree with you a little, Andy. And Please. I, agree, I believe Mike Trout, I, I didn't see Mickey Mantle, but he sure as hell, I mean, Mike Trout's incredible. I mean, he's got to be one of the best players in the history of the game. But in 2018, I have a front row seat for Steph Curry. Steph Curry's pretty active on social media. Not right. tweeting every hour, but he Instagram videos, he tweets here and there. He's out in the community. He just people feel like he interacts with you. You know, the in football, Tom Brady's 40 years old. He released Tom vs. Time. He Instagrams, you know, Odell Beckham, the LeBron James. Like you do, Mike Trout. I, now, if he doesn't want to, I I that's his own prerogative. But he one of the reasons he's not super famous. Now he he would probably have a cap like he would he would probably it it would be basically impossible for him to be as famous as LeBron James or Steph Curry just because of the sports. The but sport, no doubt. I do think he could be more famous if he was more active on social media. So like there is some truth to what Rob Manfred said. His personality is not necessarily conducive to being super famous in 2018. Then baseball should do that, and I think they should do it behind closed doors. Rob Manfred does not have to go public and almost humiliate and embarrass uh, Mike Trout. And really, I, I think uh, he was ma- he was mad though that one thing that was embarrassing for these players. Now I don't think they care because they're all making so much money. But you know the home run derby. I, I'm watching the All Star game, thinking, damn, the majority of guys in this in this game tonight, which is loaded with talent, 
is like 27, 25, 26. It's a bunch of young guys. But right. the home run derby, if it wasn't for it being in Washington, Bryce probably wouldn't have participated. Aaron Judge, Mike Stanton, Mike Trout, three the next three biggest stars, if not the three biggest stars, including Bryce Harper, did not participate. Well, the same now, thing with the dunk contest in the NBA. LeBron's not there but either. Get, so. But they can get away with it because the NBA is way bigger. So it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily matter. Like baseball needs Mike Stanton, Aaron Judge, and Mike Trout to participate in the home run derby because people are not interested in their sport. They need that. It would have helped. No, look, there's no doubt it would have helped. The point is this: that I'm not so certain one guy can save the game of baseball. You know, you mentioned Mickey I Mantle. Would, back I in agree the, there. I, that's you know, fair. So Mike Trout is one of the guys that can help save the game of baseball. You know, honestly, uh, if you look at the stands, the crowd of baseball fans are probably 50 and up. And, and more often than not, I'd say it's 85% white in the stands. And I think that's a problem because I think inner city-wise, I don't think kids want to play baseball. I walk Completely down the streets agree. downtown. I see kids wearing jerseys of NBA I see I see more Steph Curry jerseys in Cincinnati, downtown Cincinnati, than any Cincinnati Reds jersey. And funny thing is, they don't even have an NBA team in Cincinnati. So it tells you, you know, how strong know, the sport is. I'm sure you've watched this guy a lot because he was in the division. Andrew McCutcheon, who's now on the Giants, right. wrote a great article like three or four years ago on the Player Tribune. Just one thing with baseball has to do a better job of is getting inner city kids to watch, or I mean to play baseball and to make them become professionals. Because right now they're playing basketball and football. Our best athletes are no longer playing baseball. Where when I grew up, the Barry Bonds, the Ken like if Ken Griffey Jr. was born right now, would he more likely? I mean, his son, when I was scouting, was a wide receiver for Arizona. Right. Now, was he of Ben Ken Griffey Jr. Like as good at baseball? Probably not. But the point is, his kid could have played any sport. He chose football. These guys are no longer playing baseball. And you're right. I mean, the best athletes are It's just, I don't think there's any coming back. Like, baseball is never going to be what it once was. Now, no one stays on top forever. Football will one day no longer be the biggest sport in America, you know, 20, 30, whenever. It's going to happen. But to me, baseball's time is just done. And it's only getting worse because there are so many bad teams. The sport is just slow. And young people don't care. No, I I couldn't agree more. They don't care because it is slow. And you mentioned that early on. People don't have the time to give away three and a half, four hours to sit around and watch a game where the only action is, you know, a fly ball or a strikeout or a walk. That's basically what it, I mean, a home run. That's basically what baseball 2018 is right now. And I can make a comparison of Major League Baseball to newspapers. How is that? I'll tell you. Once upon a time, newspapers are all fat and sassy. I remember as a kid, I couldn't even lift. I got a hernia if I lifted up the Sunday newspaper, <laughs> you know, and, and they gave it away until the internet arrived and they never combated the internet. They gave away their product on the net. Now they want to try to charge for on the internet for their product. It ain't going to happen. It was once the place for wanted. Now it's Indeed. Indeed's the place for wanted, not newspapers. How many people typically go to a Cincinnati Reds game on just a given like Wednesday night? They say night? attendance is down about 15%, but I know, uh, you know, 20,000 the other day, announced 20,000. I mean, opening day, they had a sellout. Other than that, I don't think they had another sellout all year long. And it's you because just watch the on TV on a given, You watch on TV on a given night, it looks empty. Oh, it looks terrible. It's disgusting. Yeah. I mean, I, I would I would buy mannequins to put in the stands if, if, I, if I knew that, really. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't want anybody uh, to see that. Amazing. No, I feel you. I, I mean, the, the Giants, who have always been one of the highest-drawing teams in Major League Baseball relative to what their park seats sits, you watch on a given night, it, it's clear. Now, they announce, you know, 38,000. It's pretty obvious there's 25,000 people there. 
Yeah, the counting feet. That's what they're doing. John Middlecoff, yeah. Andy Furman right here in for Jason McIntyre on Fox Sports Radio. Get us 877-99 on Fox is our number. 877-996-6369. You know, sometimes you just got to let things go. We'll explain that next, but first let's go to the big eye. Isaac Lowenkron for the latest. Andy and John were monitoring an injury that occurred in Carolina Panthers training camp this morning when second team All-Pro starting right tackle Daryl Williams was carted off the field after going down with an apparent right knee injury in a non-contact situation. Panthers head coach Ron Rivera told reporters that Williams is headed back to Charlotte as we speak for further evaluation. Williams is entering a contract year. At Patriots camp today, Tom Brady was asked about people connecting Julian Edelman's PED suspension with controversial trainer-slash-guru Alex Guerrero. Let's listen to the audio of the exchange. Tom, when Julian uh, tested positive, a lot of people connected it to Alex Guerrero. Just what's your reaction to that? Do you think it's fair? I have no comment. That's yeah, just ridiculous. Tom, I'm out. Brady then walked away in a huff presumably destined to cool off by downing a kale smoothie with extra quinoa. Finally, in Major League Baseball late Friday night, the Milwaukee Brewers acquired two-time All-Star third baseman Mike Moustakas from the Kansas City Royals in exchange for a couple of prospects. Andy and John, let's go back to you. Thank you, I. We'll continue right now. One All-Star takes his shot. We'll get to that in just about a minute. John Middlecoff, Andy Furman, Fox Sports Radio, in for Jason McIntyre. And we are coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. Are you having fun yet, JM? Having a blast. I am having a blast. There you go. You know, life for the pro athlete is pretty darn good. You know, when you think about it, and maybe that's why there's so much hate from fans on Twitter, because it's jealousy. You know, big money, first-class planes, best hotels, good food, you know, pampered, they're celebrities. I, I, I can understand that. The life for a pro athlete is pretty darn good. And, and when fans like me hear the whining, I'm about to puke. I, I, I don't like the I, There's no reason to whine. Agreed? Or maybe you take a different tact on that. I completely agree. Great. There's, there's no – look, you, you were a scout. You've seen these guys. They come in. Uh, the, the guys are coming in. It's like winning the lottery. You get drafted in the NFL. It's like a winning lottery ticket, correct? That's what it is. Yeah, I've always argued, too, these guys having gone through the major programs. Like, I know it's very PC on Twitter to argue these guys slave labor – at USC or Ohio State. Yeah, I've been in the campuses. They, they live pretty uh, good lives. No doubt about that. So I, I'm, I'm leading up to this right now because DeMar DeRozan, the newly member of the San Antonio Spurs, was whining the other day. He's the face of the Raptors in Toronto, no doubt about that. And he said the general manager did him wrong. I, I understand. I get that. Uh, Masai Ujiri, the general manager, uh, did anyone think that maybe it was wrong that he fired his Coach of the year, Dwayne Casey. I don't hear Dwayne Casey whining. Really? Guy had 59 freaking wins for the Toronto Raptors at club record. He was let go. He was fired. And look, I understand sometimes general manager, they're forced to make a move to appease fans, hence to sell tickets. That's what they got to do. Otherwise, you know, the season ticket base goes away because they'll say, well, the GM didn't do anything. Didn't make any moves. That's what they did. Right? Has DeMar DeRozan not been following the NBA most of his life? I mean, go down the list of players that have been traded 
in NBA history. You know, I mean, from the Shacks, Dwayne Wade was just traded last year. Now he's older, but you, Demar, you were just you were not the best player in the trade that just happened. The Spurs traded Kawhi Leonard. Trades happen, right? I mean, it, I, that's part of the, part of your business. It's part of why you get paid so much money. You also, I, I thought the the interview he did was borderline an embarrassment. Uh, twofold. One, obviously, just the guys get traded. Like, what what do you expect when you? That's part of when you sign a big deal and you don't get a no trade clause. Also, like my man, you are going to arguably the best coach in NBA history. A franchise that I think's made the playoffs for 20 straight years. Mm-hmm. So this is a guy that not only is going to make you better. One of the narratives that I mean, the narrative that leads Demar Derozan's career. That's he's had a really good career. He's been a you know like second and third All NBA guy. I think he's averaged almost 25 points the last three years. Is that he's a choke in the playoffs? Well, if anyone can change that, I would imagine it's Greg Popovich. And he's going to go there. They're going to win. And people might view DeMar DeRozan a little differently. Now, I've seen some clips. You know, Team USA is practicing right now in Vegas. It looks like him and Pop are getting along pretty well. But for him to be so bitter, and I get you're emotional. You know, you love Toronto. But it's that's part of the industry you're in, my man. Guys get There's traded. no state tax in Texas. He's going to make more money in Texas, if you want to think about that. He's going to win more. He's no going to be – I mean, he's on – He's. I know that San Antonio and, you know, they're a smaller market, but they're one of the bigger brands in the NBA. He's Greg Popovich, coach Team USA. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I enjoyed watching DeRozan play when he was in Toronto, and I had my thoughts after he started going crazy and wanting – you know, there's a factor over here between loyalty and trust, and certainly DeRozan was loyal. He was benched loyal. in a playoff game, was he right. not? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was loyal to that team, and that trust, maybe he didn't trust the GM, maybe the GM said things that he thought and took mistakenly took them the wrong way. There's no guarantee in sport that you're going to remain in one team for the remainder of your career. It's a business. You're going to be traded. But the point is now what DeRozan has done not only made himself look like a schmuck, and he really did, but how many free agents are now going to look twice at Toronto as a landing spot after the DeRozan situation say, maybe I can't trust that GM. I'm not going to go there. I don't want to play in Toronto. I, You know, I really never think players care about that because if Toronto – is offering you a hundred million, and the next team is offering you seventy million. You will not care. I mean, most young people in today's society, regardless what business you work in, you know, forget things pretty quickly. So I, I don't think it'll matter at all. I I, I really don't. Uh, and you know, if Kawhi Leonard for some reason loves it there and they win, I mean, who's to say that he's a better player than Demar Derozan? That team has. The Raptors have been really the only team they couldn't beat was LeBron. Well, LeBron's now in Los Angeles. Who's to say that they couldn't make the Eastern Conference Finals? Who's to say that, you know, they couldn't upset Philly, let's say, in the second round with Kawhi? You know, it's one Ben Simmons running around. What, what happens if Kawhi's healthy and Ben's uh, Kawhi's the guy checking Ben Simmons? That, yeah, that series isn't just, you know, open and shut, is it? No, you're exactly right. But you know what? The Kawhi, that's a big question mark right there. Again, he's not happy going to Toronto. And, and look, I know he played only nine games a year well, we ago. We think. We think. He hasn't yeah, said a peep. He said, yeah, a little bit. But he, he played nine games, and he had this quad injury, the, the alleged quad injury. And now a story comes out, and I call this guy a fake, a phony, and a fraud with that quad injury because the doctors on San Antonio basically said he was clear to play. Then he played only nine games. He refused to play even if those doctors said he was okay to play. But now his former teammate in San Antonio, Danny Green, recently comes out and says – 
that he played on a groin tear that went undetected by the medical staff of those same Spurs. So now I say, wait a minute. Number one, why didn't Green mention it last season? Why is he doing it now? And it goes back to saying that these team doctors have one allegiance and one allegiance only, and that's to the team because they're paid by the team, and their job is to get those players in the lineup to play. I will say this, though, for Kawhi. I don't, Danny Green's probably a coin flip. I don't know if they're that worried, you know, if they push him through an injury. Kawhi was the franchise. Probably when it was, it, you know, if he goes on to have the career that it looked like he was going to have, he would have been the second best player in the history of that franchise, behind mm-hmm. Duncan and probably ahead of Robinson. It, we could argue that, but, I mean, that's the level in which he's on. They were going to give him, if he had just been happy, probably $200-plus million. Why would they they would have his best interest in heart because his best interest, if he's healthy, helps them get to where they want to go, which a couple years ago, remember that game one against the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals? They were killing him, right. you know, and he was their best player. So, I, I again, I, I can't speak for Danny Green. I Would they worry if, you know, if they pushed him through an injury? Probably not. And, and it felt always like they liked Danny Green. He was a good role player for him. Yeah, but to me, Kawhi's point. on a different level. You treat him... Not with kid gloves, but you do have his best interest from a health standpoint because you need him to get where you want to go. No, he's he's your Bentley. He's your Bentley. That's basically what he is. And and you're my Bentley right now because you're right here with me. One more segment to go, John Middlecoff, Andy Furman. Get us on Twitter. We'll read some tweets for the very last time. At John Middlecoff, M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F, or at Andy Furman, F-S-R, or if you so choose, 877-99 on Fox, 877-996. 63, 69. A little fun here. These are some of the names we don't like using. And they're next. Wait till you hear these names. You will in just about a minute. 14 minutes before the top of the hour. John Middlecoff, Andy Furman, Fox Sports Radio in for Jason McIntyre. And by the way, what does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. At the top of the hour, that will be 1 o'clock on the East Coast. Steve Hartman and Brady Papinga will join you. You get them on the iHeartRadio app, Sirius XM Channel 83, and, of course, on many of these same Fox Sports Radio affiliates. Hartman and Papinga, follow us. A good listen. Stay with them. And I want to thank, before we... Before I forget, my good friend, my new friend and partner, John Middlecoff, thank you so very much. I'm sorry I was late. Sorry we had some technical difficulties early on, but uh, I think it worked out. I think it did, too. You know, and I... Uh, you're a good you man. Know, somet- sometimes in life, you're just thrown into the water and told to swim. Yeah, and you did a hell of a job. You really did. But Got my head above water. A couple of things that bugged me, and maybe I'm too picky, and you could tell me and stop me and slap me if you need to. A couple of terms, a couple of words that are used in the world of sports today that drive me up a tree. Number one, you're a football guy. You could relate to this. Every football game I watch, high school, college, pro, whatever it may be, any college league, they always start the game off with the keys to the game. And I tell you what, I don't care who's playing. I could rattle off the keys to the game right here and now. Don't turn the ball over. You know, have the possession. Why? Why even have keys to the game? They're always the same for every game. Well, I mean, this isn't rocket science. It's just game of football. I think, right. you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. What's the point in having a lot of these things? But right, you know, just and, don't and turn some, the ball the over. Terms. Run, run the ball. Control the clock. Right. Uh, good red zone defense. I mean, you can use the same cliches. Hell, coaches every day in their press conferences are using the same ones they've used for 30, 40 years. They, you know, announcers probably have a, a sheet. They probably have a, a sheet. They pull out the, the sheet. sheet. The, there you go. And the football situation continuing. The guy runs north and south. What, do you have to give me north and south? He runs between the tackles. 
To tell me that runs north and south, that just drives me up a tree. I don't know why these guys have to be cute. You know, watching the golf last week, the open, the ball finds the cup. What, the ball has eyes? I mean, really, the ball <laughs> finds the cup. I mean, come on. Uh, it's, uh, maybe I'm just being too picky, but another one that really, really makes me nuts when they say this athlete is building a brand. Building a help me out with this, please, because I'm gonna I'm gonna stick my finger down my throat now. Building a brand. What is he building a brand for? Play the game. Do what you got to do. Yeah, thank you. He's building a brand. No, he's playing the game: football, basketball, or baseball. That's it. Please. Why well, that one drives me nuts because good the building a brand and <clears throat> here with basketball players all the time. Michael Jordan's brand came after he became a champion. You know, three six times over. Steph Curry's brand became, once he started winning MVPs and championships, all these guys, you, you see it a lot during the draft. Like, I, I'm worried about my brand. Like, bro, let's just let's average 20 points. Let's let's make an all-star game first. Then, then your brand will – Magic Johnson's brand came after he was a 10-time All-NBA, five-time champion, multiple-time MVP, right? He, no. Magic Johnson became a great businessman in a name because he became Magic Johnson. Hey, some of these guys – they, you know, put the cart before the horse here. Let's just worry about being a good player. Then everything – Carmelo's been talking about being a brand forever. Like, Carmelo, you're a hollow scorer whose career's going to go down as one of the most underachieving stretches of basketball. And then people are, oh, he scored a lot of points. Who cares? The, the NBA has never had a more meaningless regular season win. Win some games. Like, I'll give Chris Paul credit. He, he proved this year, like, he was up for the task, right? He was – he went toe to toe with the Warriors and was arguably, you know, the best player on the court for this seven before he got hurt. Like it's in sports, it's about winning. You know, it's about winning. You, you, all these no guys doubt. are going to make a ton of money. And, and the funny thing is, I'm glad you brought Melo's name up there because the fact that he's going to play for Mike D'Antoni, who he had battles with when D'Antoni coached the Knicks. There's going to be some fireworks going on there in Houston. I promise you. And they may not have the season they had a year ago. I really believe they peaked last year. And who knows? You. Maybe if CP3 was healthy in that last game, maybe they would have won. Maybe. But who knows? We'll never know that answer. So someone, Mike D'Antoni, told me, I, someone told me, I, I didn't read this, but a buddy in the business said that they, maybe D'Antoni went on record to say that they had squashed it. You know, they gotten over it. But I remember, I mean, everyone remembers the Linsanity time. It was bad. Didn't yeah, Melo really basically was. get him fired? Yeah, it was terrible. It was ugly. I, I can't believe this is going to happen again. And really and truly, I, I don't see that team gelling with Melo there. The guy doesn't play defense. He's a great scorer, but he's not a great player. Hey, he had one great year. But is, is he, he a great Denver. scorer anymore? Is he a great scorer they, anymore? Well, I don't you know, think or so. Or is he just kind of living off name? Yeah, he's living off. I mean, right now, and he was uh, reduced to like almost a sixth man a year ago in, in Oklahoma City. And I, I think it's over. I really do. I think it's over for him. And, you know, it's funny that the term has to come about now when they say changing the culture of a team. What, what does that mean? Now, how do the Cleveland Browns change their culture? There's only one way, I think. You got to win. That's how you change your culture, Cleveland! right? Yeah, no, they, they, <laughs> does any team need to win more? They've won literally one game in the last 24 months. One. <laughs> One game. Think about that. That's in a league of parity, in a league where you can just screw around in a December game and get a win. They've won one game in two years. Think how hard that is to do. Like it's hard to make the playoffs, yeah. but it's also hard to go winless. I mean, that was I would, a yeah. hell of an accomplishment. I would say it's harder to go winless than to go undefeated. I would probably agree. Just because you aren't you bound to just luck into a fumble or a pick right. six at the end of a game? Right. 
a block it, field goal, something weird to happen. It amazes me. But they, they say they want to change the culture. And what are you going to do? You're going to change uniform colors? What, what is changing the culture? How do you change the culture? I mean, you were involved in football, the front office, and scouting. What do they do? Do they use that term a lot? And if they do, what does it mean? Get good players. And, you know, in fairness, Andy, I actually think they're going to be pretty good. Look at their roster. It's it's not bad. They got some good time receive big time receivers there. They do. If you, if if Baker's solid, the, the Miles Garrett they draft number one overall. If he's you know turns into a Khalil Mack, Von Miller type, even if he's just eighty percent of that. If Hugh Jackson is just solid, how do they not win six or seven games? That division stinks. And they Baltimore's may sign bad. Des Bryant. Since he's not at, good. Yeah, the the thing that Des Bryant and Pac Man Jones too. <laughs> the, yeah, the character's not big on their list. I, hey, you know what? It's all about wins. If you could win, the fans don't care. The fans don't. I, I'm convinced fans want wins. That's all I care about. They really do. But I agree, Andy. I want to thank winning, you once again. Winning cures all. It does. And you know what? You cured it all today. You really got the job done. Have a wonderful week. I'll see you soon down the road, John. Thank you so much. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event. So give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view. An endless field of wildflowers or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824. Do you love Selena? Like, really love Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon.